This is Dean Jarris, executive producer of Quantum Leap, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis, and I bring you the latest in our series of interview redo specials, featuring the interviews we did with the cast and crew of the Quantum Leap Revival series throughout Season 1, most of which appeared only on our YouTube channel. And we are up to Episode 5, Salvation or Bust. Bust is an apropos descriptor here because this show features six interviews with cast and crew members from this episode. It also provides an insight into our interview gathering process. See, back at the start of the season, Matt would gather the most accurate cast lists possible and then just approach like everyone with an invitation to be on the podcast. In this case, that strategy paid dividends as almost everyone we invited said, okay, sure. Due to this glut, we had to conduct many of these interviews after the episode aired because there was so much scheduling involved. But we pulled it off, as you'll soon see, as you listen to interviews with William Mark McCullough, who played gun-toting baddie Hosiah McDonough, Ted Monty, who took a turn as the doomed Sheriff Bailey, Harry Yee, who played Town Doctor Wei, Eddie Park, who played Wei's son and assistant Ving, Marquise Vilson as Sheriff Henry, and Albie wraps things up in a chat with episode director Silas Howard. I believe Salvation or Bus holds the record for the most interviews we've ever done for one episode of Quantum Leap. That's new series or old. And there's even a Salvation or Bus adjacent interview that I'm holding back for a future redo show. Now, keep in mind, only one of these made it to the main feed, so I suspect these chats will be new to many of you. This bounty is, of course, made possible by your continued support, with special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. White-headed heroes, one and all. Well, maybe not Jeff. If you would like to become a producer, you can do so by supporting us on Patreon. Find out more at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. All right, time to saddle up, pards. On with the show. Well, joining us now is William Mark McCullough. Mark, welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be chatting with you guys today. Well, we're excited to have you. Um, you're one of the first main guest stars that we've gotten since the show has premiered the new series. And you get the fun part of being the bad guy in this episode. <laughs> yes. And I see it's just the latest in an acting resume that is kind of packed with heavies and, and darker roles. And I was doing some research on you. I found that kind of surprising because I saw in your life before acting, you were kind of steeped in like law and order. So can you yes. tell us a bit about um, how you made the transition from your pre-acting life into acting? Sure. You know, I, I actually fell in love with acting in college and um, studied, you know, theater and didn't learn one thing about how to get a job as an actor. So when I graduated from school, like a lot of lost souls, I went to law school thinking, you know, well, that's something to kill three years. And I like DC. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I got out of law school, started working as a prosecutor and was miserable and really just, you know, I, I really loved acting. I just didn't know what to do. And I took a trip down to Nicaragua just, uh, as a fun trip got in a really bad car accident and spent about five weeks in the hospital. And it literally just changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, it made me realize, you know, life is so short. 
You got to do what you love. So when I healed up enough to get back to the States, I quit my job, moved to LA and started what I lovingly refer to as my ramen noodle years, uh, as I tried to learn <laughs> how to maneuver this, uh, this industry. Uh, but it is interesting because in real life, if you ask my mom and my grandmom and my, hopefully my brothers and sisters, they tell you I'm a teddy bear and a very sweet, loving person. But I have certainly made a career playing not very nice people. That's for sure. Um, how did Quantum Leap come your way? I got to say, first of all, I'll premise this by saying that Quantum Leap is my favorite show of all time, the original. I, <gasps> I loved it as a kid. Uh, didn't miss an episode. And basically, I got an audition uh, from my agent in L.A. And you know, nowadays, we, we basically uh, tape our auditions on camera and email them in. And I remember getting it. And I was so excited. And I wrote my agent and said, oh, my God, this is my favorite show of all time. And he wrote me back and he said, me, too. I'm so excited. <laughs> and so the crazy <laughs> thing is, uh, you know, you have to bring another actor over to read with you because I'm taping the audition at my house. So the person who comes over to my house, she had not seen the show you know, back you know, when it was originally out. So I start telling her a little bit about the show and I start describing to her the series finale. And I literally break down in tears telling her about the series finale. <laughs> right before I do the audition to play this really bad character on, on the new, new iteration of the show. Uh, so I got to say, you know, I, I work a lot and I'm always very grateful for every job I get, but I have not been as excited about booking a job as I was about booking this one since I was a wee little baby new actor. I was just so thrilled uh, to be a part of the quantum leap world. That's amazing. And it's, it's not often we get people who have, um, such a love for the original series a lot of the people we speak to are you know it was before their time or they're they're kind of they're, they're new to it they're just discovering it you you say you're excited by it did was there also a sense of heavy weight on your shoulders joining this this long legacy or was it just that much fun that that, that just bypassed that part of your brain it was mostly fun you know for me like getting to be a part of the universe of something that was so important to me as a kid uh, I, I literally felt like a little kid waking up on Christmas morning over and over and over with a giant pony in front. Of, you know what I mean? It was just like every day on the way to set, I was just pinching myself saying, this is amazing. And I couldn't shut up about it on set, about how excited I was to be there. I'm sure they probably got tired of hearing me say it, uh, but I really was. And, and I, I love the script. And uh, I mean, it was just this this combination of factors that was magical. The The script was wonderful. I loved the original show. The cast could not have been kinder, more just accepting and loving and supportive. The crew was amazing. The director, the writers, the producers, the showrunner. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, you work on shows, you work on films, and generally they're all pretty good. But every once in a while you come across one like this one where you can just tell they've created this uh, environment of, of joy and love and support. And it was one of the most magical moments, e even taking away the fact that I'm such a huge fan of the show, just from a pure work experience, it was magical. Like they were all so amazing to work with. 
That is terrific to hear. Oh, now that I know that you're one of us, uh, I want to pick your brain about the old series and totally geek out, but I'm going to stick to uh, (laughs) the episode that you started first. Um, You were talking about working on the set, and this is by far one of the most cinematic episodes of the new series that we've seen yet. And you had a lot of action scenes, including horseback riding and gunslinging. And I just want to know a little bit about how you guys brought that dynamic to life, because it seemed like a very, very active kind of shoot mm-hmm. it, it was very active uh from a from an acting perspective it was probably one of the most difficult shoots i've done um you know i can i can give monologues and i can ride a horse but doing those at the same time uh brought a lot a lot of complexity <laughs> to both that was that was difficult <laughs> um, but they had a great team you know they sent me to uh they sent me to training to ride the horses and kind of prep what we were going to do uh, they had really great experts on set to uh, kind of help me out. Um, uh, but it was just, it was in some ways difficult, but at the same time, I mean, I felt like an eight year old kid, you know, getting to play, you know, dress up like a cowboy and, and shoot them up and jump on horses. I mean, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty exciting, the whole, the whole concept. Um, but, but they made sure there was a team in place that uh, allowed us to look, uh, look like we knew what we were doing. So if you can, can you tell us a little bit more about how that works? Because said you you were riding a horse and you have a monologue, but then you have more, I guess, establishing shots, more master shots where there is a lot of activity. Is that more stunt people? Is that you guys? Like how how do how do they get all of that that together? Well, there was nothing really uh, too stunt oriented as far as what I did. Uh, so um, they had a double there for me at my disposal, but. I didn't need him because, you know, basically, uh, you know, you see, I, I ride into town, I, I give the speech, I ride out. So there's nothing crazy that I was doing on a horse. So uh, I guess just in case I was uncomfortable or couldn't do it, they had someone there available for me, but but I didn't need to. Now, the folks who were part of my my gang, uh, they were expert horse riders. Uh, so uh, they, they were stunt folks who were well-versed in all the things they were doing. That's cool. I also noticed that uh, one of the gang members was female, which mm-hmm. you didn't get on first glance. It took me a couple of times of seeing the episode, but I said, "Oh, someone's wearing um, boots with heels." So <laughs> it was it was a neat a neat little twist on that, and. Mm-hmm. It's not the first time that we've spoken to guest stars who have worked closely with stunt people, not just as doubles to do action, but it seems that the the production uses stunt people as extras mm-hmm. in quite a few uh, quite a few episodes. We spoke mm-hmm. to Mark Bralver, who is uh, one of the one that's been in at least two. So. It's it's just a neat. I I don't think we've ever in, in interviewing people for the show um, heard that part of it. So I find mm-hmm. it very interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. Like I, as you saw, you know, we have the the kind of the shootout scene at the end, and there's fire involved, and one of my gang members gets drug across the you know the the front of the uh, saloon. Uh, so they kind of just brought those guys in as stunt people uh, from the very beginning, you know, and and. Uh, you know, and they're they're professionals, so they're very good at what they do. And uh, they looked. If I haven't seen the show yet, but they looked amazing. You know, uh, on set uh, as as the roles. So. Just just to build on Chris's question a little bit, um, one of the other things that we're getting a picture of behind the scenes is that the um, there's a lot of expertise being brought in to 
to support the actors. Did those those stunt people with that expertise were they helping you in terms of the the physicality behind the role? Well, I had folks who uh, who helped me with the horses that you that weren't on camera. Uh, they were very very helpful in just showing me. Um, you know, we sh- I showed up for a few days before we started shooting. I think it was three days and. Uh, went to their location, actually got on the horse that I rode in the show and kind of went through all the steps that we were going to do. And they were they were there. Uh, you know, when we did the wide shots, the master shots, obviously they weren't close by. But when we did the close ups, they were right off camera just in case something went wrong. And and also with horses, like I just finished um, Friday evening, a show I've been working the last five weeks that involved a lot of horse riding. And what I found is, is the horses get so excited when they hear action and there's all the, the extras and all the energy going on, it really gets them amped up. And, uh, and they'll be sitting there very calmly between takes. And as soon as the AD calls action, they're just kind of all, you know, they're, they're filled up with energy. So getting a horse to sit still while I'm trying to give a speech to the town was very difficult. Uh, so one of the guys who was, you know, knows what he's doing just off camera, kind of helping keep the horse calm and steady so I could do what I need to do without spinning around in circles with this horse being all amped up. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the logistics of the shoot. Um, you said that you were there for about three days, but it looked like you had some daytime shooting. You had some nighttime shooting. What is the, the, the shooting schedule like for the new series? I was actually there filming for two weeks. I was doing horse oh, riding wow. training for three days. So, Oh, uh, yeah, they started filming. I went to a to a a facility where they literally just spent three days showing me how to ride the horse, showing me what I needed to do. But when we started filming, it was for nine, eight or nine days, I believe. Um, I started on a Wednesday and shot through the following Friday. Wow, that's that's pretty intense. Is that is that a long time for a TV show? That's normal uh, for one hour drama is generally eight days. The show I'm working on now, we're doing an eight day shoot. Uh, that's pretty, pretty run of the mill, but it's amazing to me how much they get done in eight days. Uh, that that's, you know, I, I am a filmmaker as well and, uh, doing, you know, whatever it is, 48 minutes in eight days is pretty, pretty amazing, especially at the level of quality that they deliver at. Yeah, I it, it it's amazing to me just how much goes into every episode of TV that we see. We've spoken to many types of uh, crew people from, you know, editors to directors to guest stars like yourself and just the the massive machinery that has to go into motion to get one episode of television done is staggering and um Speaking to that, you said that you you also work on the other side of the camera mm-hmm. as a producer. We see that you have some writing credits, some even some director credits. Um, what projects are you working on outside of the acting stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually wrote, directed, and produced a movie called A Savannah Haunting, and we're getting a uh, select theater release nationwide, October twenty eighth, and it'll be available on all major digital platforms. Uh, but I wrote the, the script based on real events that had happened in my family's home in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, very proud of it. You know, we were one of the first films in the country to shoot during COVID. So we faced some pretty major obstacles, but uh, we had the film do a film festival run around the world. And we won a ton of best film awards, best actor, best actress. Uh, 
And we won awards where usually, you know, horror films aren't beating out dramas for best film, but we were. So I'm very proud of it. And folks are interested. They can check out a savannahaunting.com. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it'll be playing in a lot of, a lot of places. And, uh, uh, it's something that, you know, a lot of folks came together to make that. Um, but I, I look at how difficult it was to make that movie. And, you know, we, we were shooting, you know, probably six, seven pages a day. Um, and, and I look at some of these television shows that are just, you know, the level of stuff they do and, and the, the logistics of some of the things like with, with the episode of quantum leap, I mean, just we're shooting on the NBC backlot, which I was told is the oldest uh, film lot in, in the world. Like I think they expect the early 1900s um, and just all they went through. I mean, they, they created this saloon that one week it's just an empty building. The following week is this gorgeous, beautiful saloon fully out, you know, fully outfitted uh, as if it's 1879 uh, it, it blows me away watching the craftsmen and the folks who bring their expertise to these shows uh, and how fast they do it and how fast they edit. It. I mean, we, we shot this, I think I wrapped this show five weeks ago and it's already on, you know, that, 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 that time span is such a short period of time to go from finishing to it airing. So uh, yeah, my, my hat's off to all the folks that bring it to the, uh, to the screen. If I can back up a little bit uh, to a Savannah haunting, based on something you said, are you telling us you grew up in a haunted house? Yes, yes. Uh, the house is. Uh, <laughs> it, it had always That's been. Terrifying. Uh, it, it always had things going on. Uh, very, very weird, sometimes scary, dark things. And I moved away after after high school, and. Uh, you know, my family would, would chat about it a little bit, but we never went into any detail because, you know, you just didn't want to sound like you were crazy. Right. And I, I, I was living in LA for a long time and I returned to Savannah for, uh, some family reasons, uh, several years ago. And so it was the first time I'd spent any real time in the house since I was a little kid. And I was there about nine months and it reached a point where it was terrifying to be in the house. Like I, I just, the upstairs was off limits. Like I just wouldn't even walk upstairs during the middle of the day. It was so scary. And, um, my, my producing partner came to visit and she stayed in one of the rooms upstairs and had a terrifying experience. And, you know, then we started talking and she said, look, you should really capture some of the things that have gone on this house and turn it into a screenplay. And, uh, and I did that. And, and I just, it, it was rather easy to write the script because, you know, so much had happened to me in the house and to, to people who had lived there, people had visited. And like I said, we got shut down because of COVID uh, for about five months before we could actually start filming um, from the point we started till the time we actually got finished. So we shot this documentary, a feature link documentary, kind of covering the history of the haunting. We brought in, uh, you know, lots of paranormal experts, a voodoo priestess, an Eastern Orthodox priest. Uh, we brought in historians. And one of the things I found so interesting, uh, like I didn't direct that because I thought, you know, it's so close to me. I'm going to step back and let someone else direct it. But they interviewed me first and I kind of explained all the stories that happened to me, all the kind of supernatural events that happened to me. Then they went and interviewed other people who had lived in the house you know, over the past 30 years. And what was so shocking is the number of stories that were exactly the same and they had no idea what had happened to me and I didn't know what happened to them, but you literally, you can watch the interviews back to back and it's just so specific and, 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 um, so similar. 
The other thing that was really surprising is, you know, the super, most of the supernatural elements that take place in the movie were things that had, I had experienced or family members had experienced. Uh, but there were some historical elements I'd put into the script that I just made up. Uh, one of them being that on the property there in Savannah, there had been a plantation house that was burned down during the Civil War. And the current house was built over that plantation house. And that causes some, some, some havoc, right? Just made it up. We bring in a historian to research the property and the, and the history of the area. There was a plantation house on my property that burned down during the Civil War. And I had no idea. And I'd literally just put that into the script. Uh, so there was interesting things like that that popped up uh, that, uh, that were really shocking, really shocking. Will that documentary be part of like a special features bonus with the film when it's released or is that going to be its own separate thing? We worked way too hard on it for it to be a DVD bonus. So it's going to be a separate film that we're going to release. We're still doing uh, post-production on that. Uh, we expect to have that wrapped up probably in the next two months and we'll have a release probably several months after that. But it'll be fun. I mean, I think in many ways the documentary is even scarier than the narrative because it's just filled with security cam footage you know, interviews with people that, that, uh, things happen to, um, you know, and we, one of the things that we cover in the documentary as well, were the challenges we faced trying to film in an actual haunted house because we shot the movie in my house. And I really wanted to kind of, uh, I wanted to capture what it felt like to be in an actual haunted house because so often I'll see supernatural haunted house films and, you know, blood's coming out of the walls and creatures are jumping out. You know, it just, that's not what happens, right? At least, not in my experience. So the film really focuses on that slow creeping dread that comes when you live in an actual house that has darkness in it. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so we, we wanted to capture that and the documentary just really goes in detail about it, but also it covers what we faced. We had a lot of cast and crew who were threatening to quit because they just were so scared shooting in the house. They had things happen to them. Um, so I think it'll be a fun documentary for people who are interested in, in kind of behind the scenes of filmmaking and also people who are interested in, you know, haunted houses and the supernatural and those kind of things. Mind blowing. <laughs> Sue Allison's this was, not here. This, Halloween's her favorite thing. She would, she would talk to you for the next two hours. <laughs> yeah. She missed a good one. Cool. Well, you guys check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, we will. The um the the listeners will as well, I'm sure. Um maybe just uh just switching back to Quantum Leap for a bit. Um you've you've obviously been a, a fan for a long time. What kind of what kind of changes have you noticed? We we've all been observing this as fans ourselves, that this is a, a relaunch, a reboot, however you want to describe it. This is a, a different show and a similar show. Have have you had a chance to see the first few episodes uh that mm -hmm. have aired? Yes. Well, I, there's several things about the show that are different that I find very interesting. I, I really like the fact that they focus much more on the present. Uh, you know, I, I remember as a kid watching Quantum Leap. I mean, there were a couple of quick moments where we saw, you know, 1999 or whatever, you know. Uh, but I like how they really kind of delve into that a lot. Uh, and I like kind of seeing the um, the world of the present day Quantum Leap, you know, the 2022 uh, is, is really fun. Um, and it, I think it really, it, it affects the dynamics a lot, you know, in, in the original, it really felt like it was those two main characters and everyone else was kind of like guests, you know, guest characters, every episode. Uh, and this feels more like a, 
like a bigger team. You know, we're really seeing the team side of, of the Quantum Leap project. And, and for me, the idea of the ties to the government. I mean, that was obviously hinted at, and maybe I was a kid, I didn't pick up on as much when I watched the original, but but that that sense of like being a government project and the and and the the Pentagon aspect of it. I think that's really interesting. It gives a lot of places for the the, uh, the storytellers to kind of dig into that maybe in the original they didn't go into as much. I'm finding that uh a very interesting new wrinkle in this as well. And uh, I'm appreciating the fact that they're building that as much as they're sort of building the leap part of the series, because it is part of the dynamic that we never really got to see in the original series. And it allows for a new kind of storytelling on quantum leap that wasn't possible with Sam and Al just being the main ones that you see. Um, That being said, um, since you are a nerd like us, what is your favorite episode of Quantum Leap? Because I know all the listeners are dying to know. <laughs> Gosh, the favorite episode. Um, there were so many that I loved. Uh, the episode, and I don't know episode titles. You guys may, may know that. But uh, when we'll Sam... Did, that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think the uh, the JFK uh, episodes were really cool. When it goes back in time to... to we think to stop the JFK assassination, you learn it's actually to, you know, keep his wife, uh, Jackie O alive. Oh, that's uh, Lee Harvey. Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. 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 The season yeah, five was, opener. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So yeah, you guys, you guys know more than me. Uh, but yeah, I remember that one really was, was uh, powerful and stood out in my, uh, in my mind, but I just, the dynamic between Alan Sam was so amazing. Um, like I said, and, and three, the, the, the series finale, uh, I know some folks didn't like it, but I loved it. And I thought it, I mean, I, again, it just brings me to tears. I thought the, I thought that final scene, um, you know, where we see, where we see Sam, you know, show up in Al's ex-wife's room and, and, and go to speak to her. I was like, that is, it, it's still, like I said, when I try to describe it, I'm not even going to get into it on this because I don't want to break down tears, but it was such a powerful ending to the show for me. So yeah, we're still talking about speak. it three decades later. We are, yeah. yeah. And we've gotten to speak to um, Susan Deal, who plays Beth, twice, oh, wow. and she still gets emotional about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she, it's affected her. She can't listen to Georgia anymore without welling wow. up. So yeah. you're not alone in that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a big touchstone for everybody who was involved, it seems, especially uh, the actors that were in it. So mm-hmm. speaking of actors, I know that you were primarily on set with Raymond and Caitlin. Were you able to interact with any of the other main cast while you were uh, shooting? Unfortunately, no, because they just, you know, they're obviously at a different set than where we were filming in the, in the old West set. Um, so Caitlin and Raymond, the only main folks that I got to work with, but my gosh, both of those folks are so nice uh, and talented so I, I very much enjoyed working with them, but I, I would have loved to have at least uh, run into the other cast, you know, at, at base camp, the trailers or something. But I, I unfortunately I didn't see them. We know that your time is limited, and um, I just wanted to know: are there any other aspects of your time working with the show that you haven't touched upon that you'd like to tell us about? Any stories from the set? Uh, gosh, there's a lot of stories from the set. Uh, you know, it was interesting. You know, we. <laughs> Because it's, it's the old West, we're wearing layers of leather and I'm wearing a lot of black. And we were filming during the heat wave in LA. So all that sweat you see on me is definitely not fake. It was so hot on set mm-hmm. when we're shooting. Uh, but yeah, I, I know the, uh, the crew kept checking on us and, and the scene where, uh, 
we had the f- flames surrounding us, you know, with the big kind of standoff. You know, many times they kept walking. I'm going, are you okay? Everything's safe. You feel comfortable. And I was just thinking, my gosh, I'm getting to shoot these, you know, old cowboy guns and play in the middle of fire and an old West street. Like I am definitely good. Like this is, this is literally what the eight year old <laughs> me would have asked for, for Christmas. If he had the chance, you know what I mean? It was, it was so much fun. Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I literally still looking back on it. I'm just giddy that I got an opportunity to be a part of it and get to play with those, uh, all the actors, the guest actors were great. Uh, obviously series regulars were awesome. And, and just the entire team and something I've noticed just working this business for a while, you know, the, the, the energy on set is created at the top and that energy goes down and the people at the top are kind and thoughtful and understanding and helpful. And, uh, it just seeps all the way to through everyone and it works the other way as well. And so, you know, for me, it's like, it was so clear that the people running the show, uh, have created such a great energy and such a great environment because it's the nature of the show that with every episode being a different location, different time period, there's a lot of guest casts obviously coming in every single week. And they just did such a great job in making all of us feel like we were part of the family. And, and th- that doesn't always happen on a TV show where you're coming in for one episode, you know, everyone's been working together for weeks, months, or years. And they just really, uh, we showed up and it's like, boom, from day one, we were just embraced as if we were one of the, one of the family. So yeah, kudos to all those guys. That sounds like kind of a holdover from the environment on the original series. Everybody that we've spoken to could not be any more complimentary to the just the vibe on mm-hmm. that set. And saying that it really started from Scott and it went down. Scott, we've never heard a bad word about Scott ever from anybody. I mean, he's apparently the nicest guy in the world. And it's nice to hear that that we're not just seeing the legacy of Quantum Leap continue in front of the camera. We're seeing sort of that that collegial familial vibe continuing behind the camera as well. Mm -hmm. So to me, that bodes well for the formula, for the longevity of the show. Because if you have an environment like that, I think you're naturally just going to make a more sincere product. Mm -hmm. So it's so great to hear that that is the way it is on that set, because I think it's very important for, for, for a a lasting success. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think when people are comfortable and relaxed, everyone does a better job from the, craft services PA to the writers, to the, to the actors. Uh, if you're, if you're supported and loved and feel like you're part of the, of the team, uh, I think you're going to bring your magic much better than if you don't feel that way. Well, do you have any messages for uh, fellow leapers out there? Uh, pursue your dreams, whatever they are. I am so glad that I, uh, Ignored all my family and friends and quit being a lawyer to pursue being an actor. <laughs> Fantastic. And that website you mentioned earlier, asavannahaunting.com, was that right? Yes. So yes. everyone uh, everyone listening should check that out. It sounds like a great film. Yes. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that. So thank you so much, Mark, for appearing on the Quantum Leap podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. This is such a pleasure, and I wish you guys the best of luck. And, uh, yeah, hopefully chat again. Should you choose to reject my employer's offer, they have empowered me and my posse here to see to your permanent relocation, at which point all that was once yours 
will become theirs. We told your employer we reject their paltry offer. Tell him, Sheriff. I'm to inform you that we have petitioned the governor against the railroad's claims. <laughs> Ain't no sheriff or governor gonna help you out here. Hi there. We're very excited today to be bringing you an interview with Ted Monte. Ted, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here. I absolutely love the show and I'm, I'm fascinated by you guys. Great. Well, we're, we're really excited to be able to talk to you. Um, so uh, Ted uh, recently played the sheriff uh, in Salvation or Bust. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Quantum Leap for sure. But um, first, you've had an incredible career over the last 30 years, particularly over the last few. Um, can you talk me through a little bit about uh, your, your history to date, some of your high points? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the very first uh, film that I was ever in was uh, um, a, a film called Silence of the Lambs. And uh, the really cool thing about that is it was, it was my first feature film that I'd ever been in ever. And I, it was with the, the director, Jonathan Demme, uh, the late Jonathan Demme. And one of the, the coolest things I loved about being on that set is my first day on the set. And I just had a tiny little part in there. But my first day on the set, when I walked into the lunchroom, and again, it's one of the, one of the greatest uh, uh, food uh, uh, films I've ever been on. I mean, we had, they were serving swordfish and prime rib, and it was just a, a bonanza. But my first day on the set... I didn't really know anybody, and I walk in, and I'd gotten you know my food, and walk into the big area where where you know all the actors and um, the director and producers and everybody's in there, and I had no idea where where to go to or to see anybody. I didn't know anybody, and I'm walking into that room, and Jonathan Demi jumps up from his table, and he's like, "Ted, Ted, come over here, come over here." You know, ooh, I didn't even know he even knew who I was. You know, so I walk over, and he goes, "Come here, sit down with us." And he introduces me to his wife, who was there. Introduces me to uh, um, Jody. Introduces me to everybody on the film, and he just treated me and really everybody like we were family. I mean, it was like this this incredibly welcoming, warm environment and I, it was it was my first experience into into movies and having that as my first experience was absolutely phenomenal and then what happened with the movie afterward was you know pretty spectacular uh, silence of the lambs i don't know if i've, I've ever heard of that <laughs> no it's a first one. little <laughs> indie film yeah i know <laughs> what a way to stop yeah, that's awesome. i know you know and you think you can you know wow i've made it now <laughs> but you know so and I've, I've done you know from there i've done you know gajillion commercials the you know tv's episodic blah 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 uh, but i'll fast forward on, well before i get into some of the recent stuff i've done now that it's halloween i did a, a little indie film a few years ago that got quite a bit of of uh, notice it's called circus cane and uh, my wife and i were just on netflix the other night and it like popped up as one of the halloween films to watch so i got to throw that out there circus cane so that's a it's a it's a fun little indie film where a clown kills people so it's it's <laughs> cool yeah i know if you like that kind of stuff and i do uh it's a it's a great fun little little show uh, and recently, I have to say that, you know, I'm very proud of what's been happening recently. I was really fortunate. I'm sure everybody loves and knows The Godfather. I was fortunate to be cast in uh, a role in The Offer, which is about the making of The Godfather, all seen from Al Ruddy, the producer's point of view. 
um, Giovanni Ribisi, Miles Teller, Juno, Juno Temple, just phenomenal. One of the coolest things about this, this show. And I don't know, um, again, I don't know how many actors have talked about, you know, what happens. Usually when you get a job, there's no rehearsal like there used to be. It's like you, you get the job, you work, you get on, on set. And then you, if you get to run lines with somebody, you're, you know, you're, you're happy. This one, Dexter Fletcher, who directed this thing, he, we got a, probably about a month, maybe month and a half before we, we started per, uh, the, the filming. He sent all the actors uh, who were in the first couple of episodes, he sent us an email and he said, I want you guys to come to set. We're going to do, be doing rehearsals for this. So we had a month of rehearsals and he sent us an email saying, I want you all to have a backstory before you come into this set. And I want you to do your backstory from as far back as you want to go. And then it stops where you enter the script. And what we did is when we came into rehearsals, and again, this is unheard of today, that we go into rehearsals, and we walked in, we had this big rehearsal hall in, uh, in downtown LA. And all of us were there, you know, Miles, Juno, uh, Giovanni, er everybody's there. And all the prop team had set up this entire rehearsal space with items from that period, the 1970s. We had plates, we had glasses, we had pictures, we had, you know, books that Coppola had written. We had all kinds of stuff from that period so that when we weren't rehearsing, we would be living in that environment. And then as part of this, each one of us read our backstory to all the other actors. And so we all got to know who we were before we joined. And one of the things about Dexter is he was saying he wanted to relive that era. He kind of wanted to do what, what Coppola had done, which was create a troupe. He said, I want an acting troupe. You know, like, you know, he's, you know, back in theater days, he's a big, you know, theater actor. And he wanted us to be in that kind of environment. It's what happens to you when, when you're working in a theater. You become really close and you trust each other. So we really developed that kind of work while we were doing, and it, it was a month of rehearsals before we even started. Coolest thing about it too is we actually got when we actually got onto the lot, we had camera and lighting rehearsals too. So it's like and totally unheard of today. We actually went in there, we did all camera rehearsals and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Dexter, he's he's the kind of director that would come up to you um, during one of our rehearsals. I was reading a bunch of stuff on on mafia. And the five families and, and that kind of stuff, trying to get background and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, he just, I noticed somebody was standing in front of me and I look up and Dexter's just staring at me. And he looks at me and he goes, You're going to be fantastic in this thing. <laughs> and then he walks off. <laughs> it's just, and, and that's the kind of director that he was. And when we actually started shooting the thing, he would like, you know, because it's it's COVID time, so everybody's in masks and everybody's separated, and we're shooting on the um, on the lot, and it was uh, on the Paramount lot, and it's like there must have been, you know, two hundred people, you know, there's producers, there's all kinds of monitors and all kinds of stuff, and he's in a different room, but after every take, he'd come running in, and he'd come in and he'd give you some direction. Oh, I want you to do this, do this, do this, and then he'd run away and then go back, and then he'd come back, and then he he grabbed me at one point, he pulled me away because I had a, a scene with Giovanni Ribisi, and he. he whispering me he goes i want you to just laugh at him just laugh at him and so i go, I go okay so then i go so we do in the middle of our scene i just start laughing at giovanni and you know he reacts to that and all this stuff and then dexter comes to the scene he comes every he pulls me I'm like you're brilliant he goes you're out acting rapisi 
<laughs> and Giovanni, I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> but it was it was a great funny moment, you know. And that was the kind of environment that that Dexter had created in the offer. So it was really just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So so yeah. Do you think that you were able to get that sort of leeway, sort of that that expanded time and comfort? Uh, I guess twofold question here, um, because it's it wasn't necessarily a network show, but more of a limited series for Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, does that give you a certain amount of breathing space because it's more of like a prestige TV kind of deal? And I guess the second part is, do you think the director was so keyed up on getting you into sort of that old time feeling because as a project related to something as iconic as the Godfather, you're going to have a lot of cinephiles watching who are especially invested in legacy of the Godfather. Do you think he was trying to live up to that legacy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent, you know, and I think, and Dexter, I think twofold. I mean, you have Dexter who has such a a background of work, who's such an amazing director um, and actor and you have Paramount who was using this as one of their big pushes for the Paramount streaming. So I think they probably did give more leeway to him and to us than would normally happen. And, uh, you know, it's, it was, it was when I did that with Dexter and with everybody else that was there, that felt to me like what I thought this business was going to be like all the time. You know, and it was it was really it was a pleasure, and, and they gave us that kind of freedom. But yeah, I, I think absolutely because of the reasons you you suggested. You know, they did give us that kind of leeway. That's really great. So, I mean, how does that contrast to doing a regular network drama like Quantum Leap? You know, I'll tell you something. Quantum Leap it's, it's a whole it's in a whole different world because first of all, it's it's. Well, I guess it's not because it's as iconic as The Godfather. The thing about Quantum Leap is, that, <laughs> I mean, we like yeah, to I think so. <laughs> I know. Well, that is it. Really is. I mean, it was. I was a. I watched the show. I was a huge fan of the show. You know, the thing about Quantum Leap is that it had its own um, iconic value to it. And forget about just all the stuff with with Scott Bakula and the whole the whole show. But when you come onto it and you're you're rebooting something that has that, you're on the lot. You know, again, which is like, it's such top secret, you know, just to get there, you know, I got, and I, I live here and I got lost. I'm just like, you know, I'm going on the lot. You're like, no, you're not, you're not parking on this part of the lot. You're parking in the top secret part of the lot and we're going to bus you to where you're supposed to be. I'm like, okay. So, you know, so I, I get on this bus, I go out to, you know, God knows where out in the, uh, on the lot. And so, um, and then you wait in your trailer, you wait there forever till they're ready for you. And then all of a sudden you walk into this Western town on, on the lot. And then you have like these, these tour buses that are going by that are stopping with everybody filming and, you know, taking pictures. And, and I I walk on here and Silas, Silas is who I'm a huge fan of the Silas Howard, our director. I mean, he, his, the work that he has done has been so real and so, um, I think so groundbreaking. So I, I was a fan of his coming on. I was a fan of the show coming on. So it was, and he get to play cowboys. I mean, I'm sitting there and the whole wardrobe thing was amazing. You know, trying on a hundred different hats, you know, your gun, your, you know, your, it's, it's, it's everything as a kid that I wanted to, to, you know, to do. You know, how many times did I play Cowboys and Indians? And now I get to, you know, freaking be here, you know? And so it was, it was absolutely amazing. And, and Silas 
he was terrific because it's like, while we didn't have the kind of, uh, of rehearsal, we did, we must have done a thousand takes, you know, and the thing about it is, is that every time, cause I, I get, I get shot in this, in this episode and I, I must have, I hit the ground, you know, I must have hit the ground like 30 times. And every time, you know, Silas would have different, different ways of us doing it, different angles. He'd add stuff to the scene. So we were constantly, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, the, when, there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it to into the editing that we have. Like we have this entrance, like when you read the script, it reads as, uh, you know, me and my deputies are coming out, uh, a la tombstone. And, and I was kind of like the Wyatt Earp character coming. And we did, we walked out from out of town and out of the sheriff's office. And we walk up to this big thing, you know, it's this big epic kind of thing. A lot of that didn't make it into the final pieces for, you know, you have no control over that stuff. But in that, that final shootout, it was, it was just, absolutely terrific and it was so much fun it's a couple of things that that happened on there first of all i'm getting shot constantly so when i would stand up it got to me unless it had like 50 75 extras in that town all over so i was getting shot so much that pretty soon the extras when I would get up and we'd get to the next tape, they'd start singing, I shot the sheriff. But it was like my theme song every time we'd redo that thing, you know, and then I'd have so some of the other extras would be going, come on, sheriff, you know, don't get shot this time. He's gunning for it. You know, so it was a whole like thing. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. Um, one of the things also the script changed from, from when I first auditioned for it, when I first auditioned for, for it, I was going to be riding a horse and I actually grew up on a working cattle ranch. So, um, I think I'm actually the only person except for the stunt people that actually knew how to ride a horse. Um, but, um, they changed it so that I wasn't on a horse anymore. And you guys, we've seen the episode already. So, you know, what happens. So, um, uh, uh, William is on the horse and William, I don't think, uh, has done a lot of riding. And so you'll notice, and when you watch this, this is some an interesting kind of, kind of gas thing. So, so William was having trouble controlling his horse and he's got this, you know, this epic bad guy monologue stuff where he's, you know, he's, you know, telling the town what's going to happen and he's doing all this stuff. And then his, his horse would start to move away and he would you know so it would like be twisting and you'll notice on one on one of the shots all the 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 stunt people behind him are pointed this way and william's horse is pointed this way this is one of those times because his horse was originally this way and he was supposed to be facing it was one of those times that the horse kind of like did one of these things and so they they captured him stuff while he's he's sideways but in order to get the horse to stand still one of the wranglers comes in, he's holding, holding the horse. So the camera's up here and he's holding the thing here. So he's able to control the horse and, you know, they're, they're giving him direction, the wrangler direction, you know, can you push his head up so we can see his ears? So he'd like, he'd be doing this stuff. And then the, the, the thing that just cracked me up is, you know, the horse is just standing there being held. He's kind of looking down and the wrangler puts his hand on the ground to just kind of brace himself. And the horse just stares at his hand. And then the horse like puts his foot up and then tries to step on the wrangler's hand. He's like, just go stop that. You know, and this is happening take after take. Every time the horse would like, see that hand and you'd be like, Bleh. so he finally had to just hold him with two hands there until they got all that take. <laughs> so that was, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, uh, let me <laughs> 
just uh, <laughs> top that one. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could go back uh, just a, a little bit. Um, you mentioned about the fact that the the, the script had changed uh, between yep. the, the point of audition and, and you actually getting there. How much of the script had you seen at the point that you auditioned? Because um, you, you were only in that one scene. Is 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 that what you what you knew of the episode? Yeah, that's all. That's in the beginning. That's all. That's all I saw it was just uh, um, you know I think it was like three pages. You know, in initially. Um, so that's all they give you in the very beginning when you first do the audition is just this this you know little bit to do that with. Um, but then once I got the job, then you know they give you the full script, and then it changed a couple of times from that original audition anyway. So they're constantly rewriting and changing, um, which is actually different. I did. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work on Westworld um, this mm. last season four, and they are like top secret about everything. You know, when I when I first auditioned for that for that role on Westworld, it was it was a um, I, a, a rec- I have a, a recurring part on that, but initially it was just supposed to be one episode. And I and I did that initial scene, and there was all kinds of delays for a lot of reasons, and it was like months after it, I'd auditioned for it, and and I I just knew that you know the 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 few lines that I had on this one thing, and then they came back and they said, well, we've expanded the role you know, are you, are you still interested? I'm like, yeah, you know, of course I am. Are you still interested in me? Because now that they've expanded the role, of course, now you've got, you know, bigger name people. It's like, you know, well, great. You know, and they asked me to re-audition for that. So they gave me again, little pieces, you know, of future episodes. But in, in the end, when I actually got the job, all I ever got was the pages that I was on. They never showed me who or what, and they made a sign. I mean, we like had to sign NDAs not to talk about it till it till it aired. All this kind of stuff. It was really like super, super top secret stuff. In fact, I remember um, uh, Evan was great, but I was I was working with uh, um, Nicole Passant, and she has this this scene. And again, uh, I get. I'm, I guess I'm known for getting killed in a lot of episodes on TV. That's my big niche now. Um, so when when I get killed in in Westworld, uh, she, afterwards she's like, "Oh my god, oh my god! Now I understand. I understand why I have to kill you." I'm like, "Why?" She goes, "I can't tell you. I can't tell you." <laughs> I'm like, but I'm the reason. She goes, "I know, but it's in the next episode. I can't tell you." So yeah, they were they were crazy top secret. Fortunately. Uh, 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 quantum leap wasn't wasn't as bad as that but uh yeah <laughs> when you're on a set like that where you have such such a lockdown and you can only see bits and pieces even of your own part and to not be able to put it into the context of the entire project is that a different feeling on that set i know the job is the job you you do your lines and you do your best as as an actor to act and react with the people around you but does mm-hmm. it affect the overall um the overall feeling of a shoot does it feel like a more closed sort of um insular experience as opposed to everything we've heard about quantum leap this is why i'm asking is that it's such an inviting set and that from top yeah. to bottom everybody's always so you know open and friendly and i'm just wondering if there's a different dynamic when you have those kinds of constraints definitely um and it's it's um you know the anytime you're on a set uh number one on the call sheet sets the tone for the for the whole show so in, to answer your question twofold 
there's there's really when you don't when you only know what you're doing. Um, uh, I personally think it, it kind of limits you as an actor because you you don't you you don't have the breadth of what's happening. So you discover what's happening the next time, and you always go, oh, shoot! If I had known this was going to happen, I would have played it a little more this way. I would have done a little more that. Um, you know, which is always a challenge. So I really prefer to have much more information up front, which is like Quantum Leap. Once they'd locked the, the script, it was like ours to explore the script. You find so much more information about, you know, who you are, what the town's like, how long you've been there, you know, your whole backstory that you can, you have to, you know, build some of it on your own, but so much is there when they provide all that information. And one of the things like, like Ray, who's number one on our call sheet was freaking phenomenal. I mean, again, like I gave you that example with Jonathan Demi earlier, that was, that was actually both Ray and Silas coming on. I mean, they were two of the most inviting, friendly people. I mean, Ray's there, you know, jumping in, you know, Hey, I'm so glad you could be part of this, you know, and then we had, you know, conversations about, about, you know, just quantum leap and what it meant, you know, to us and to other people. And of course, I'm sure he gets asked this every, by everybody on the show, including me, is Scott Bakula coming on the show? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know and I, I read this, this fan theory that said that Scott was actually had leaped into Ray and that Ray was actually, you know, doing, you know, so Scott's double leaped into that. So really, Ray is, is Scott. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which I, I, I again, like I said, I hope Scott, I hope Scott does make it. But I was talking with Ray, and he's just super friendly, super great guy. I mean, and you know, he's a wonderful actor, and I think he really does bring that sense of what I remember Quantum Leap to this. He's funny. He's serious. He has that kind of, you know tongue in cheek, but with that certain, you know, seriousness that's happening to him. So, I mean, I love the new, I love the new show and, and he's phenomenal and welcoming and Silas, I mean, even Silas, Silas, again, it's interesting when I think back to Jonathan Demi, because um, Silas, when I was, I was eating lunch, he comes over and sits down next to me in the bench. We're in this big, big uh, um, Western town and then we just start talking and, you know, and he's telling me how much he loves what I'm doing, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you know, and, and I, I say to him, I go, yeah, it'd be great if you guys can like come back and, you know, <laughs> another episode, maybe like, you know, an hour before, <laughs> before you did now. And he's like, That's a great idea. You know, and then he calls to somebody, he goes, is it possible to come back at a different episode and have Ted still be alive? You know, so they have some, you know, I'm sure he was just humoring me, but <laughs> you know, let me put that out there. And I said this to Ray too, before I leave, I mean, buddy, I mean, just come back another episode, but like, you know, a day sooner, just that's all I'm asking a day sooner. <laughs> it's a whole different world. You're saving not only the town, but me. <laughs> You're thinking so like a science fiction writer reply. now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. Story by. <laughs> well, this is a whole different world to the original series. I mean, there's there's story arcs and and connections. So hey, you never know. This is this is the perfect opportunity for a prequel of some sort. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> um, you you talked a bit about the atmosphere on set and uh, and how welcoming. Um, Ray and uh, and the director were. Silas, were you, were yeah, Silas. Were you uh, were you on set for the the whole shoot, or 
you no, just no, I was it. only on there just for the teaser, just for the teaser yeah. piece. So yeah, so that the, that first those first what fifteen pages or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. yeah was so that? I wasn't I wasn't there for the end, but I, I will have to say this that uh, and I got, I wrote his name down, Jim Cody. Have, have you guys interviewed him? He no, played yeah. the. Uh, that, I'll tell you the thing. The great thing about Jim, he plays like the old crazy man old guy, that's, that's yeah. in that beginning. Yeah, he used to be in those Pace Picante commercials where it's like you know they're eating Pace Picante and they're like, "This is made in New York City." <laughs> you know? So that, that was you know I had to ask him a billion questions about that because I actually did a Pace Picante commercial and I'm like you know but he he did it back in the heyday and that was like one of those most iconic commercials so. Yeah. So what what was it like uh, being on the set? Did you get to see any of the other main cast or was it just mainly uh, Raymond and Caitlin that you were interacting with? Yeah, it was it was uh, it was mainly uh, mainly those two. So um, every everything in, in my world, was, you know, all the stuff that that happens later on wasn't part of my world. So, yeah, it was mainly mainly Ray, actually. And uh, and uh, and William. It's funny what you said uh, earlier that you were only in the teaser and what's so different about the new iteration of Quantum Leap is the teaser used to just be the the, the 12 seconds before the oh boy. And yeah. basically you're in the teaser, which is as long or even longer <laughs> yeah. than a lot of first acts these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. It's true. Yeah, they do have a, yeah. a different structure to it. Yeah, it was it's it's funny because I was uh, I I actually uh, rewatched my favorite episode not too long ago of the original, which was that uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one where where he, Scott goes back to to Vietnam. Yeah, it's called and, the Leap Home Part Two Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah. Is that, well, there you go. Uh, it was uh, and watching that the heart in that is you know reminded me of mm. why this show got rebooted. Uh, it's because there's so much, you know, I remember when he sang that, that song, imagine it's like, you know, and even, even seeing it again, I, I brought a tear to my eye, you know, because there's so much heart in that. And, and I really do think that that's what the new show is bringing also. And I really think, you know, as we start exploring and seeing what's going to happen with, with the new quantum leap, I, I really think there's going to be a whole new generation coming in. Cause again, I have, I love Ray in this role. I, I really, really do. And I wish there was somebody I didn't like, so I had some dirt for you. But <laughs> it's a shame. That that, those are always fun uh. stories. We never seem to get them. Everyone just seems to love each other. So, are you uh, are you following the show as it airs at the moment? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you did you know about the the ending of of Salvation or Bust with the the reveal of I the did. other leaper? Yeah, because I had the uh, you know. I had so the, I had so that was actually. Yeah, even that wasn't yeah. cut out from your script. Yeah, no, no, no. They they're very they uh, uh, and unlike a lot of other shows, they're very very open to to yeah. what uh, is happening in your episode and in your world. You know, so which I think is just beneficial to everybody. You know, so yeah, I, I yeah I knew. I, I know that we've been going for about a half an hour, but I, I had one other question because you've been working um, for so long in so many different kinds of projects and some amazingly fun seeming projects to me, uh, a little film called Raptor and maybe ah. some uh, maybe some other giant creature films. What is it like working on a set where you know everything's going to be done in post and you have to react to 
what what might be over there. I don't. I just I have to think that that's a completely different acting experience too. You know, <laughs> it's actually pretty fun, and, I, I, and I'll tell you, I really, I really, I'm, I love that whole imagination world. But I will tell you, um, when I stopped doing monster movies a while back. It was, and I was in Hawaii. I was shooting this, you know, we were in Hawaii for a month and it was great and wonderful. And it's a whole other experience that I could tell you about that was just some amazing things that happened. But I remember uh, being with, uh, um, uh, I, I think it was uh, Michael Perret and Michelle Borth, I think might have been in that. And we were running from some monster. And I remember turning around and I said, and I don't remember what the words were, but I said this. And as soon as they cut, I just turned around to both of them. I go, I think I've said these exact same lines to just a different monster at least like five or six times. I go, I got to stop doing these monster movies. <laughs> That's the moment. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, so um, <laughs> with that in mind, uh, have you got any other projects coming up? Uh, that you want to, to share with us? I'm assuming not not a return to monster movies. <laughs> no, it's not a monster movie. And, and, uh, no, actually, anything I'm working else? on uh, with, yeah, my wife, uh, uh, who is Priscilla Barnes, uh, you probably know her best from uh, uh, Three's Company. Uh, mm -hmm. She was also in Jane the Virgin, a bajillion other things. Uh, she and I are working w uh, on, a, on a play uh, with uh, our director and acting coach, uh, John Markland. So it's called uh, Honeysuckle Graveyard. And we're actually in the in the pre-works of it. You know, he's he's been writing this this script, and we've been working with him along with uh, uh, two other actors, uh, Danny Keaton and uh, Chris Dietrich. And it's a four-hander; it's four people. And uh, so John is. Uh, we're working with him and and developing this script that we're eventually going to be putting up. We're talking about maybe December or January putting this up here in Los Angeles. So it's called Honeysuckle Graveyard. Great, something for local. That's, that's a great title. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And every everything else is just a waiting game. <laughs> well, it's been uh, really enlightening and fun chatting to you. Thank you uh, so much for your time, Ted, and um, best of luck with the play. Thanks, guys. I had a great time. Hey there, welcome to the Quantum Leap podcast. I'm so excited now to be bringing you the latest interview with a member of the cast of the new series of Quantum Leap. I've got with me Harry Yee. Harry, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. Um, now, we've just seen Harry in the latest episode, Salvation or Bust. Um, so we're going to be talking about that and Harry's experiences on the show. Um, but first, uh, Harry, can you tell me just a little bit of background about yourself? Uh, I know you... you had a had an, a career in musical theatre and then maybe moved into TV and film. Can you just, just give us a bit of an overview of that? Well, I started out as a dancer uh, way back when, many moons ago, and uh, I was fortunate enough to do uh, some big block, blockbuster uh, musicals. Uh, one, uh, The first one was uh, Starlight Express, uh, written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, the second one was King and I by Rodgers and Hammerstein. And the other one was uh, Miss Saigon, which I did three companies of uh, that musical. And I went on to play the lead, the engineer, the role of the engineer in Miss Saigon. Fantastic. And um, what what took you then to TV? Was that a, was that a gradual kind of shift? 
Or well, are you still uh, doing both? I'm still doing both, but at the time when I began, uh, I was fortunate enough to do four big shows. And uh, when you do one, you know, and it's, if it's successful, they, they wind up doing, you know, road companies uh, uh, or even uh, international companies and doing that. So I did do three companies of Starlight Express, the international, the national and the Broadway company. Uh, same with Miss Saigon. I did the Canadian company, the both of the national companies on there, and also King and I, and uh, Anything Goes, too, the Cole Porter musical. So it expanded for like a good 15 years of my life. I was really lucky. I was able to bounce from one show to another. Amazing. Um, so what's, um, what, what took you into the world of TV as well, then? Uh, it was always my original passion to do film and television. But since I grew up in New York City and Broadway was my background, it was uh, it was right there, you know, for, for me to just uh, indulge and uh, enjoy. And uh, and and in originally when I was uh, in high school, we would go see these uh, shows on Broadway. Uh, how fortunate for us, uh, for the kids living in New York City to see some incredible, incredible shows in New York City. So that kind of opened my eyes to the performing arts. So uh, I had uh, an idea where I wanted to go. But, you know, one thing led to another and different roads opened up. And uh, I found refuge at this dance studio. And I got on scholarship. And the scholarship wasn't all paid for and all that. It was basically uh, cleaning the dance studios uh, the locker rooms and everything four times a week. And I would get all my dance classes for free. Oh, I ate it up. I, I did that. I was taking three or four classes uh, a day. And these were uh, big, uh, incredible uh, professional classes right there in the heart of New York City. Uh, one of the studios was, was called Broadway Dance Center. The other one was uh, Steps on 74. Alvin Ailey was big at the time. So there was this big musical stuff happening during that time. So I, I, I just went in, you know, head first, just swimming in that ocean. And uh, it was it was a great experience. I'm curious, uh, people that love musical theater, I love musical theater, uh, usually have a story about like the first musical uh, they saw and uh, how much it means to them and the experience. Like what what musical was your first musical that gave you that bug that said, I want to do that? Uh, my first musical was, uh, was, w wasn't, uh, well, well, okay, well, if we go into the musical, my first play was Amadeus. Oh, okay. I, I went and saw that with F. Murray Abraham. Wow. Uh, and just, oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. And then the film came out, and that was just, <laughs> uh, it was just an extraordinary, uh, experience to, uh, watch something that you saw on stage, uh, uh, you know, just project on film for you. So that was my first uh, show that I saw. But the, the first one was Cats. I have to tell you, uh, Cats was, was just an amazing journey to, to, uh, for, for anybody who's never seen a musical before to go in and enjoy this wonderful world that we can create for, for all the fans to come and enjoy. They come out to the audience and they sit down next to you and they start going, you know, they start acting like cats, you know, meow, meow. <laughs> how wonderful is that? So you feel like you're a part of it when you're in the audience. 
of watching that show. And what was great about that in New York City was uh, during the matinee, want to catch the second act you could always sneak in you know because everybody would come out into the streets and hang out during the matinee so you just blend with the audience and if it's not sold out (laughs) you'll get a seat so i've seen the second act of cats at least like (laughs) 10 times (laughs) that's incredible that's awesome yeah yeah i love cats it sounds like um from that and from everything you just said that you're the early part of your career you've seen a lot of opportunities that you've jumped on and there seems to be a mixture of, of luck and being in the right place at the right time but also really working hard to, to to make the most of those opportunities and not not let you not let them pass you by oh absolutely absolutely i mean when when you start out in the performing arts you see a lot of great performers in the studio uh, training and practicing and 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 you aspire to be like them uh, I was fortunate enough to be in a classroom with Mikhail Baryshnikov. And at the time, he was uh, the director of the American Ballet Theater. And just to be in the classroom, taking class, ballet class with him was was just a, a mind-boggling experience. Like, oh, my goodness, you know, because I also saw him in a movie called White Nights with Gregory Hines. And uh and oh, just 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 his style and movement was just so precious to watch all the time, and such passion and endurance that he had, which which I wanted, and and at the same time, I'm taking classes with this guy. <laughs> Amazing. I had some great experiences with with a lot of uh, number ones. You know, also I went on tour with uh, Rudolf Nureyev, the first Russian defector. Uh, from from Russia, and uh, I went on a, a one year tour uh, in the United States with him, and, and that was such a great adventure. Oh. Oh. And <laughs> he was he was a, a, an amazing character just to watch all, all through and through. You know, talk about divas. Uh, you know, he was one. <laughs> At times, you know, we would come in and sign in during half hour, and you would hear. Uh, like a glass crack in the back, you know, and you hear him in the background, get out, you swine, leave me. (laughs) (laughs) I've never experienced that before afterwards, but that was just amazing. I'm like, oh my God, you know, as soon as you sign in, drama llama (laughs) backstage, (laughs) uh, experiencing uh, Rudolf Nuriev, what an amazing man. What a legacy, I mean, stuff that he's done. Film too. I, I've had the uh, a great experience of working with a lot of you know, like I said, number ones. Also, I worked with Christopher Walken in Balls of Fury, that movie. Wow. I played the Japanese champion mm-hmm. in that. Oh, yeah, wow. I played ping pong in that sumo diaper, you know, with that <laughs> g string that goes up your butt. <laughs> and in the match, my first shot was on my butt, you know, as you can see, you know, if you watch the movie called Balls of Fury. Yeah. And and I got a standing ovation. Uh, we had like 400 people, background and every, everybody. And after the first match, they had the guy, the cameraman with the handheld, he was just shooting and shooting and shooting. And Dan Fogler, who was the star of the show, he just crashed onto the ping pong table. And, and I was supposed to lose and he was supposed to win and be <laughs> victorious. But you, know, you got to keep going with what's going on, you know, with mm-hmm. the shot. So he collapsed, and I didn't know what was going on. So I took advantage of it, and I, you know, threw my hands up and yelled, <laughs> "Yaka, Yakito, champion!" 
cut. All right. Harry, take a break. Everybody, you know, take, uh, stay here. So I went over to Crafty, and Christopher Walken was standing over there, and he came over to me and said, hey, good job, kid. So what do you do, <laughs> martial arts or something? <laughs> oh, man, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that, you know, I told my friends, you know, if my career ends today, I, I, you know, it was it was a, a brilliant one, you know, because I got the, the biggest compliment from, from one of the uh, best actors in the world. And uh, he's truly amazing. That was a fun Christopher movie. Christopher Walken. That was yeah, fun yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I chopped a ping pong in half with my paddle. <laughs> I, I have to watch it again now. I think I have it on Blu-ray. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to watch it again. Yeah, I'll go to it's a that. great film. Yeah, George George Lopez is in that. You know, we had uh, a great cast of people. So, how does that get you to Quantum Leap? <laughs> when you go from Christopher Walken to Quantum Leap, well, you, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't give up. You know, easily. I just don't. And uh, to make that leap and that transition from theater to film. Uh, for me, it wasn't easy. I mean, it, it's, it took years and years of just uh, persistence, uh, auditioning. Uh, I met Tom Hanks once and he told me, you know, hey, you know, persistence is the key. And then I saw him on an interview and he said the same thing. So I, <laughs> I thought he was just saying it to me or anything like that. But but it is. It's true. You just got to hang in there. You never know what's going to come right around the corner. And, and you just got to, you know, for me... I just want to throw. I want to throw in the towel uh, at least like ten times, but uh, I just hung in there and just you know auditioning from from one one show to another and and right now uh, I'm, I have like three or four auditions a week and uh, all on big shows too. Uh, so Quantum Leap came up and uh, Jennifer Cooper uh, casting called me in and I was auditioning for her for a good five years just to get. Uh, on on her radar is, is a hard thing to do. So uh, over the years, I, I guess I impressed her, and she's been calling me in at least twice a month for uh, for different shows and stuff like that. So I, I, I put in a good one, and uh, and it paid off, and uh, I got onto Quantum Leap. What what was the audition <laughs> process like when your character is, uh, I guess, mute? Would you say because uh, they're oh. deaf from explosions or something to do with mining so that uh, they don't talk as much so well uh i my my dog is deaf so just for me to communicate with my dog i have to use hand gestures and this and that but it's more with the eyes uh you know concentrating so uh, i had help at home <laughs> with my dog you know uh, and he's 12 right now. So if I had a good 12 years of experience in dealing with, uh, with, with, you know, trying to communicating with, with my dog. And, um, so I took that perspective in the beginning and then the rest of the other stuff, I, I walked around with like stuff in my ears and I was just trying to use all my other different senses, you know, to communicate hand gestures or eyes, you know, facial expressions are really important when you can't hear, when you're trying to convey some kind of message. So I was doing all of that for three or four days. And then I, I really, I felt it because you can also hum in the back of your mind, you know, and close out sounds too. So you, you, you have to uh, relax and, and just be secure with, with what direction you're going to go and just let everything happen. 
And, and when that happens, you know, magic, you know, uh, can appear right in front of you. You know, acting is one of the hardest things in the world. But if you have the right people around you to make you feel comfortable, and I did, you know, and uh, thanks to Deborah Pratt, you know, she she uh, she was there from the beginning, from the conception of this show, Quantum Leap. And uh, and she she just it was her vision to reboot it again. And she did a great job. She put a tight cast together. Uh, like you said, this was a this is a big episode, you know, going back to 1849. Oh, my God. We shot in the back of Universal uh, Studios. They have this great Western town back there. And uh, it, it was amazing that the horses, the cows, the smell of the manure. It was just, you felt it. You were just like, oh, my God, this is it. This is it. I'm, I'm here, you know. Uh, everybody in costumes. So, uh, first of all, I got to thank her for uh, for engineering and putting all this together. But not only that, uh, the writing of this script was just Perfect, dead on. Benjamin Rabb, Derek A. Hughes, uh, they're a team that put this script together. And they were on set every day in the two night shoots, too. Also, uh, Deborah Pratt, she was there, too, making sure everything was okay. You know, if we needed anything, uh, she was there, a big fan, always clapping after uh, each of the scenes. Uh, we had some great support from, from uh, production to everybody that was, in, uh, p- that was part of uh, Quantum Leap at the time. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. Raymond Lee, what an incredible guy. He's just amazing. Great, great, wonderful personality. I mean, we met for the first time and we didn't stop talking for like two hours. We just, Mm -hmm. yeah, he loves to talk. I love to talk. We were just talking about, you know, the world that we're in right now. Because there was was three different generations of Asians in there. Eddie Park, who played my son, uh, myself. And and Raymond Lee, you know, the star of the show. Big, 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 big star, rising star. <laughs> and the first night that we shot was uh was the big bonfire that we had on set. And uh and me, Raymond Lee and Eddie Park, we had to run into the scene. They had like four or five cameras set up everywhere, the fire was going on in the barn. They had, I think, like 50 background people all trying to put this fire out. And we had to run in to the shot. <laughs> and this was our first time acting together. And um, so, I mean, that, it wasn't even rehearsed. We just like, go, get in there, do it, you know. So we ran in there. Raymond got on the line. I grabbed the bucket, put it into the uh, well, filled it up, and passed it to Raymond. But I filled it up all the way <laughs> where... It was like juggling water, splashing water around, and it kind of doused his whole upper body, part of his body, right? So I, I was like taken back. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> Good start. I'm like, I'm like ruining the shot, but no, it wasn't. I mean, he he was like laughing it off and like, oh no 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 no, this is great. No, we're doing it. We're doing it. This is great. And I was like, oh, okay. So the second take, I even filled it up even more. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, no. But no, a couple of seconds after that, the 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 tone and the energy on the set that was set by 
Deborah Pratt, the executive producer, was just brilliant because a couple of seconds after the second shoot, uh, the second shot, I heard from the background, background uh, the guy singing, Uga Chaka, Uga Chaka, Uga Chaka. Because we were working, we were getting the buckets, passing it to each other with the water, passing each other. So all I heard was Uga Chaka, Uga Chaka. Mm-hmm. And then in my mind was like, ah, hey man, this is not a musical, but I knew the words <laughs> to this song. They're like, Uga Chaka, Uga. And then I started singing along. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girl, you just don't realize what you do to me. And then Raymond came in with his, you know, <laughs> singing. And then we all started singing. And I knew right then that this was going to be a great shoot because everybody was engaged with each other. And, and, and we were just having such a great time. The next day, we got on the van. All the cast members we were just singing, you know, just just get just enjoying each other's company, and uh, just having a great time. You know, like I said, acting is one of the hardest things. But if 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 the set is relaxed and if everybody else is relaxed, you know, you can just work your magic and put some great stuff out there. And, and I think when you watch this episode, you're going to see a lot of that. <laughs> also, the last shot, the martini shot, when we shot that mm-hmm. in the saloon. Mm-hmm. You know, afterwards, we got so uh, attached to each other that, you know, some of us were crying, you know, after the martini shot, you know, and everybody was hugging. Now, it's not like that all the time, you know, because some people are released at different times, you know, when their scenes are all over. But they had us all together from the beginning all the way to the end. And when they when they finished the last shot. We were all just hugging each other, you know, saying, I love you, man. I love working with you. Maybe it was mostly me, but, you know, some <laughs> other people were reciprocating, you know, saying, I love you back. But it, it was just a, an amazing journey. Also, you got to thank Silas Howard, the great director uh, who directed d- directed this whole project. He did an amazing job, man. Uh, I mean, it just makes you feel so comfortable that you just you can just do whatever you want. And that's what wow. he said. Hey, just do whatever you want. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> he goes, yeah, yeah, do whatever you want. Well, but we had a great cast. And, yeah. yeah. A, a, a lot of, you know, a, a lot of great, you know, moments uh, within the episode. And, and the people are going to enjoy it tonight. Because when you have a tight cast like that and when they're enjoying each other, it, it radiates on film. You know, you can see that. It's just wonderful. Great experience. I didn't even want to go home. I was like, can we do this again? <laughs> Let's do it one more time. <laughs> you know it's going to be great when a spontaneous musical breaks out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, during one night, uh, you know, my, my dancing experience uh, brought me way back to, I was on Fox TV uh, on the Robert Townsend show. Uh, and we had this uh, variety show of musical guests coming on, and uh, and, and I was one of the primary dancers uh, uh, on that show, and I was dancing background with Queen Latifah, Ice Cube, and Yo Yo at the time, and I've never saw any of those footages before. They're all on YouTube, but um, who was it? Benjamin Rab, one of the writers on uh, on the show, came over to me and goes, "Hey man, you dance with Ice Cube? He's one of my favorite singers, man." <laughs> He goes, I go, yeah, yeah, it was Ice Cube and Yo-Yo. He goes, hold on, let me look it up. And, and he picked it up on YouTube, and then he put it on his speakers. 
and uh, and and everybody was jamming to that. Raymond Lee came up, started making his moves. I was doing that all in all these cowboy outfits and stuff like that, which gave it a party atmosphere. And they're like, oh, this is gonna be great, man. We're gonna have a good time. I was like, break out the food, mm. <laughs> party, party, party. <laughs> it amazes me hearing stories like that um, with with any kind of weekly television, but particularly something that is so close to an anthology as this is, where yeah. 99% of the cast are going to be there for two weeks and then scatter. And it's only yeah. really Raymond and Caitlin that are the were, were there as regulars for your scenes. Is that right, is, right. Is that your experience as well? There was something maybe special going on? With this? Yeah, you know, like I said, for me, most of the time I come in for a couple of days and I'm out, you know. Uh, I, I, I got a film coming out called El Tanto on there. Charlie Day, you know him from Always Sunny in Philadelphia? He wrote and directed this project. And Ken Jong is in that, you know, from The Mass Singer, from the movie Hangover. And uh, I got lucky to get on this project, but it was only for a couple of days. But uh, I, I got in. I, I have a scene with uh, Ken Jong and Charlie Day, uh, and it was half improvised and uh, and and half written. And uh, I, I think I did a great job because Ken Jong, you know, he's stand-up comedian, funny guy. He came over to me, and goes, "Good job, good job." You know, he walks around like the mayor, you know, because he owns this town pretty much now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just to get the thumbs up from him you know, is is a great reward. And, you know, that's what we get. We get little rewards like that from from seasoned actors, and we go home, and, and that's that. But on this project, you just felt like, you know, you were part of the family. And uh, I, I wish I could do it over and over and over again. But just to have that experience, you know, uh, is just tremendous. In that scene uh, with the soup. Did you see that? Yeah, you see we, that we, scene? We, we've yeah. seen the we've seen the screener. Oh, I haven't so, seen it yet. Oh uh, yeah, so how, we, how we know what you're talking about. It came out <laughs> <Yeah>. well. <laughs> um, so really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what did you did you have time to prepare uh, with your scene partners for that scene? Like uh, uh, with Mr. Park, did you come up with a backstory maybe for the family or anything in your head together? Well, what I did was uh, Eddie Park, who plays my son. I wanted to get him uh, in a headlock, you know, right away and start giving him noogies <laughs> so we can be close. Uh, and and we didn't we didn't separate throughout the whole shoot. Uh, you know, when I got there, you know, I was knocking on his door and made sure we was just spending as much time together. So we, we, we get that feeling, you know, of family. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, I didn't have any lines in there, but Eddie did. So I wanted, you know, to make sure everything was going great and, and, and he got my support. So I said, you know, tell me, you know, let's rehearse. You know, let's let's try to run this, you know, before we get on set. And, and we did, you know, so I had him run through it at least, you know, a good 10 times. And, and I was there, you know, trying to trying to block out the scene within the trailer that we were in. And then when we got in there. Uh, a bit more comfortable uh, of doing the scene. So I think that worked. You know, just 
uh, spending time with each other is, is a big deal. You know, just going on set and just meeting the actors and this and that. And you just got to use more of your imagination there. But it just makes it a lot easier when you when you know your cast members. And that's what I did the first night. I told Silas Howard, I go, hey, man, let's do an introduction. You know, because in theater, the first day when we get uh, to the rehearsal room, you know, we we acknowledge each other. You know, one by one, we'll say, hi, my name is Harry Yee. Uh, I'm an Aquarian. <laughs> Something, you know, that tells a little bit about you. So then when they see you, they can identify something in their head and they're one step closer to you. So that's what I try to do each time when I get on to set. Try to get to know the cast members and the crew too, because, you know, you got to feel comfortable with the crew around. And if they're on your side, it just makes it much better. And you can feel that. You can just feel that when you get on set. There was a scene where Addison was explaining to Ben about uh, everybody's uh, special talents that they could contribute to uh, defeating the bad guy, you know, capturing him. You were you were there and you were it looked like you were talking in sign language almost uh, to people at the table and like with explosions and boom. And I was wondering if that was improvised or was that uh, American Sign Language with a person on set to teach you that or something? Well, let me ask you this. Did that work? Yeah. <laughs> did it look oh, good? good yes, question. Totally. Yes. To me, it okay. did. But okay. I know a little bit of sign language, but I don't know explosion and stuff, you know. Right. Well, uh, sign language was created in the 17th century. And then we have information that it dates back even further than that. But I figured, you know, 1849, this guy's a Chinaman that came over from China uh, to help out, you know, to build a railroad. And he lost his hearing through uh, through the dynamite noise. Yeah. Maybe he was a little too close or who knows, mm -hmm. but it bursted his eardrums and he couldn't hear. So uh, I figured, you know what? There's nobody out there to help him. He's got to do it all on his own. And I didn't even know that scene, uh, we were going to do that scene. So, you know, sometimes, they, you know, they put everybody together. All right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. So you you have to be engaged and, and just be ready for whatever happens. So the fact that I couldn't talk or I couldn't say anything to communicate with them uh, because the scene uh, was about what do we do uh, together to, to fight off the bad guys. So for me, the only information that I know is that I'm a dynamite expert. So I can use this. That's my only weapon. So I came up within a split second before they yelled action. I came up with the smackdown with the dynamite spread out because uh, there's another scene where I'm on top of the saloon and I'm mm -hmm. throwing dynamites down, mm -hmm. you know, at them. And that's a great story because the camera guy was looking up. At, 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 at me throwing it down and I was so into it throwing those mm -hmm. dynamites right down that it came right down and missed his toe <laughs> by like an inch so when he's like when they yell cut he goes hey man you almost hit me I go you're <laughs> lucky man <laughs> I was aiming for you but it was a great shot because the camera the, the, the dynamite came like like that right in front of the camera so I go okay we got one you know, on there. Like I said, you know, if, if you if you're really relaxed with the crew and everything, you know, you can just you can do whatever you want, and 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 just wonderful wonderful gems come out. 
you know, just like uh, in that scene where I'm packing the dynamite, I remember uh, a couple of days before we were doing that scene where I am packing the dynamite and putting everything in there and, and gently putting it down. And that was a great shot. I got a, a picture of that where the backdrop was just all lit and you see me in the cowboy hat and I go, oh, wow, oh, this is great. <laughs> oh, man, this is Hollywood magic, you know? And they made us look really good with the proper lighting and everything else. So so I used that scene a second before I got lucky, you know, because it just came into my head. And I go, okay, let me put this guy, let's go. Action, go! And I'm like, <laughs> you know, doing yeah just like look good look good totally you know, just trying to convey like you know we gotta do this you know that kind of thing without any dialogue so i used a lot of you know facial expression and energy like you know we can do this kind of thing so that it was a, a nice surprise to me and uh, that's why i asked if it worked or not so so i am so happy that it did but it just you know like i said gems come up when you feel really relaxed on set I love the logic behind behind that 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 your approach to it that you you wouldn't have a formal training in sign language but you'd have to communicate in that situation so wow that was that was amazing Thank yeah you. yeah I mean that's all the information that I got so I mean what more can I think of to to make this work I mean there's nobody teaching me sign language I just I guess I had to teach myself doing all that stuff so it it, it was it was uh a, a wonderful journey to experience something like that too, and and also being uh, playing a dad, a single dad to, to Eddie Park, you know, just to uh, have that concern because I know when when uh, when the Cowboys come in and they shoot they shoot the sheriff, uh, you know, I I have to protect my son, and for me to spend time with Eddie, uh, which was a joy to hang out with him because he's a truly talented kid. Uh, he's going to be a big, big, big star. Uh, just to uh, protect him was just natural. You know, this is my son. You know, nobody's going to take him, even though if you can, you know, see what, what, what I mean, you can feel it, you know, you know, I'm protecting him within that. Hopefully they got a shot of that because they, they did a couple of close-ups on that one. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just, uh, I just want to make it more natural as possible. So all that time behind the scene, you know, fed into when we were shooting. It paid off. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. <laughs> so you've told us a lot about your relationship there with, with Eddie and with, with Ray. Um, is there anything you can share with us about your relationship with the, the other members of the cast? Um, was there any any one specifically there that you bonded with, or have you got any any stories you can share with us? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, who, who, who I forgot uh, his name. Uh, the the cowboy who comes in, Mark William McCullough. Mark William McCullough. We just talked to him yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yes. What a great yes, guy! Such what, a nice guy. Scott's Man, when he shows up on set with his look and everything, it was just, uh, it was pretty scary. You know, he comes in with, uh, with his cowboys riding those horses and, and he's a great actor. I got to say that because what, what, well, you know, it's hard to act on top of a horse, you know, but when your horse is not, you know, listening to you 
or has to, you know, have a bathroom break. It's really hard out, hard to spoot out some of your dialogue. I hate to use that word spoot out, but, uh, mm-hmm. he, he, uh, he did it with such class and such grace. He just waited, you know, he's just so relaxed, you know, when it was his time to deliver, he did, he delivered. And he's just got this energy that you just, oh my God, just immediately scared of this guy, you know, you don't want to mess with him. You know, because he'll take you down. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, we we got that from him. He was uh, obviously somebody that was, that was able to switch that on very quickly because he's yes came across as such a nice guy when we spoke to him. But uh, yeah, yeah, and you know what? All three of us, me, Mark, and uh, Raymond, we all had a chance to work with Tom Cruise uh, on oh, there. Okay. Uh, Raymond just worked on Top Gun with him, and Mark did a couple of projects, and we were all talking about that. So yeah. I, I have this story with Tom Cruise where. I accidentally kicked him in the head uh, when we were shooting, and uh, and he got up and 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 just uh, you could read his lip. He didn't say anything, but you can just read like. <laughs> so I thought he said, "What the freak," on mm-hmm. there, and you know, and and for me, my experience with Tom Cruise was amazing. What a wonderful guy, man! He's engaged, focused, and he's there. You know, he's there for you. But accidentally, the stunt coordinator picked me up. You know, I'm not a big guy, so it's really easy to pick me up and fling me. And he threw me where Tom Cruise was rolling around picking up the gun. And I accidentally kicked him in the head. I mean, it was a big, it was a, it was a, it was a nice shot at the, at the top of his head. And, uh, and he didn't, we didn't see that coming. So he got up and, and said, what the freak? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, and I, my story goes, well, he doesn't curse, man. You know, for me, he didn't curse, but he does. Cause Raymond was like, Oh no, on top gun, he was cursing left and right. <laughs> what the, what the, what the, you know, I was like, really? Oh, I got to change my story now. <laughs> <laughs> he does funny. curse, but he was That's gracious funny. and he was, uh, really nice about the whole, uh, accident that happened on the set. You know, because the stunt coordinator, after like 30 seconds, uh, came in and said, no, 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 it's my fault. I threw him. And because for, for, for that long of a, of a period on set, when something like that is happening, it seems like a lifetime, you know. Uh, but uh, when he came, the stunt coordinator came and said, you know, it was his fault. Tom Cruise came over and gave me a big hug. I was about to cry, man. I thought they were going <laughs> to kick me off the set, you know. But he goes, oh, that's okay. That's why we have second takes. And and uh, so we, we all shared our Tom Cruise experience on the set of Quantum Leap. It's a small nice. world. Nice. <laughs> yeah. What What will be your takeaway from uh, working on this episode of Quantum Leap's uh, Salvation or Bust? Like, what 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 are your parting memories of it? Your feeling about the whole process? <sighs> I just for me, I. I uh, Everyone in the cast was brilliant, but Raymond Lee was just incredible. That The guy has a lot of magic behind him. He's a wonderful guy to be around. And uh, uh, what a great joy to work on his project, Quantum Leap. I mean, it was just truly amazing. And I'm so proud of him. He's doing such a great job. I mean, I've watched all the other episodes, four episodes, just to jump into those shoes from each character, you know, uh, week week to week. And then on top of that, in the middle of that, 
go out to New York and do like 10 different interviews and then come back and do another episode on top of that and stay focused uh, is amazing. And, and, and I watched some of his interviews too. Uh, he's so talented. Man, uh, it's just a joy to be around him, not alone just working on a project with him, but it, it, he's just a great guy, Raymond Lee. Star, star, star. So, yeah, you, you've mentioned um, projects. You've, you mentioned a couple of your your previous projects and obviously uh, everything that Raymond's doing at the moment. Can you tell us what, what's what's happening in your world at the moment, what, what we can expect from you next? Yeah, uh, I have a movie coming out called El Tanto, uh, written by Charlie Day, uh, directed by Charlie Day. And uh, let me tell you, after the first uh, shot that we shot, Charlie Day came over to me and said, you're on my team. (laughs) (laughs) I literally thought I was on his team. Six months later, (laughs) I didn't get a phone call from Charlie. He's not calling me. (laughs) I thought I was on his team. What's going on? And this is a funny story because – uh, Raymond Lee also worked with Charlie and and he told me the same story. He goes, well, he said the same thing to me. <laughs> uh, what, what do you mean? He said the same thing to you. You're, you're on his team too. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, yeah. He said, he goes, well, he said, uh, I was a great actor. And he, got, he said, well, he said the same thing to me. <laughs> I go, no way. So I, I went over to Benjamin Rabb and I told them the, sta- the same story. Now, the thing is, I guess it's a new Hollywood thing when people say, uh, hey, you're on my team. Uh, it's not literally you're on their team. That means that was a great shot. That was a great take. It was a great scene. You're on my team. So uh, I, I was pretty much educated on Quantum Leap about, you know, people saying, you know, s- certain things on set, uh, like you're on my team, meaning Something totally different, <laughs> totally different. So uh, it was truly an honor, you know, to get that from Charlie Day, you know. So the first take was great. And then he let me improvise on the other scenes. Uh, I can't mention anything because it's not out yet, but he let me go and, and it was great. He kept on coming over to me and saying, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. <laughs> I love that. I've gotten that before in, in, in my experience, you know. They just love the stuff that I'm, you know, delivering out. So it was all, all improv stuff. And I was just adding everybody else on the set into it. You know, Karen, get in here! You know, doing all that stuff. You know, once once I get into something, it just kind of goes and goes and goes. And, and sometimes there's no stop for me, you know. So it was great that he let me execute something like that. And, and hopefully it comes out brilliant on film. But the, the film is called El Tanto. Uh, look, look for it. It should be out soon. And my next project will also be in uh, uh, Norway. Uh, there's a, a project out there, a sci-fi, that I'm supposed to shoot. Uh, I think it's January or something like that, that I'm going out there for like a month to shoot a sci-fi uh, project in Norway. Or and also awesome. in Antarctica, too. Wow. Nice. That sounds like yeah, something up my alley. Good. That's something I'll watch, yeah. <laughs> I'll be on the lookout. Another for that. journey in my life. Yeah. I- I'm so lucky. You know, I- I've been doing this for such a long time that, you know, just to continue to do this and uh, from from one project to the next project is truly magical. And, and I- I'm deeply honored that, you know, I get called in from time to time. 
That sounds great. And uh, sounds like you've got some, some brilliant projects coming up. Um, Harry, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Things. What is that? Ancient Chinese secret. <laughs> Kidding, it's just aloe. The bullet left a nasty burn, but it's just a grace. So heal it right up. <sighs> Hello and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. I'm here with Matt Dale. And our special guest today is from the episode of Quantum Leap, Salvation or Bust. He played Ming, the uh, town's doctor. Uh, this is Eddie Park. Hi, Eddie. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing awesome. Great to be here. Big fan of the show. Thank you so much for being on uh, Quantum Leap Podcast. Uh, I really uh, I'm excited to talk to you because uh, Salvation or Bust, I really enjoyed the leap part of that, the Western part of that. And um, oh, yeah. uh, can I want to talk about Quantum Leap, of course, and get and get to uh, your experience on there. But uh, I want to find out a little bit more about you first. Like, how did you get into acting? Uh, how did you get the bug? What were some of your first jobs? Can you can you can you walk us through that? Oh yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, and also, I honor being on the show. I've been catching up and just having a great time reliving memories. Uh, so I first got into acting. I used to be this extremely shy kid with like a little stutter. And I think elementary school, my dad and my parents were just kind of like forcing me into stuff. You know, they're like, "Oh, try t-ball, try this, try soccer. You know, try piano." And then, you know, as a shy kid, I'm like, "Oh, this sucks. This sucks." And then. Finally, my dad was like, hey, you should try for the school play. And out of all things, I was like, what? <laughs> and I tried out, wasn't expecting much. And it was a fourth grade play, so it wasn't a huge deal. And then I got Danny Zuko because the musical was Grease. Oh, nice. And I was like, whoa. You know, I was like a little fourth grader. I'm like, well, that's crazy. And then I did the performance. And I remember that from that moment on, when I was singing my song, and I'm like, my legs are shaking, you know, out in the audience. That's how I basically... Uh, became the person I am today. Sounds cliche, but mm-hmm. yeah. And then when I act, my stutter kind of went away. And as I mm. became more open, yeah. And I didn't get into acting, acting. So maybe about middle school. And then I was taking classes. Didn't get too many jobs, but from late middle school to uh, mid high school, I would get small things. Uh, one of my first jobs was uh, with Ken Jung for his show on ABC and then one of my later ones was Criminal Minds, uh, the last season. So that was a big one for me. Got to play a traumatized teenager whose dad gets murdered. And wow. a few other ones. And this one is the biggest deal for me. I had the most fun with Quantum Leap, yeah. Uh, have you done much else in terms of musical theater? You said you, you, you started off with Grease. Uh, was there anything else, even on an amateur level, that you were doing on, on, on that kind of side? I got more into musical theater in high school and then I would do, you know, some plays like, uh, like old fashioned plays, our town dining room and the musicals were more like music man. Uh, what else did we do? We did beauty and the beast mama Mia. And that was the most fun. And then we were going to do Chicago. Oh. I was playing Billy from the lead and then COVID happened. So that's when all the mm. years mm. went, you know, shut down, but you know, on a TV, <laughs> bigger and better things, you know? So, yeah, Billy Flynn, that's a great part. Uh, were you able to hit that high note in Greece? Uh, what was it, Summer Nights? Is that the song? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was like pre-puberty Eddie, so, you know, I was hitting all those notes for sure. So. <laughs> cool. It was like butter. Oh. 
what's it like for for a young actor to go from like school plays to being on Criminal Minds? I mean, that's a huge step. Uh, was it like a big a lot of nerves and big responsibility to take on? I I've been performing so much throughout my childhood that it kind of like numbed me to being nervous, I guess. Uh, and especially with this kind of fun role, you know, it's like a ragtag group of, you know, cowboys, from the old West, same Italian, you know, that was, it was just like playing every day. So, you know, I don't think it was too much of a leap. Sorry, no pun intended. I don't know why. I that joke, but, um, <laughs> it was not big of a leap, but yeah. Um, doing small projects and then finally something this fun, mm-hmm. you know, filming in uh, the universal backlot. Wow. Seeing you know, the tram, the universal tram that I used to ride when I was a kid, people waving and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> You're on the <laughs> other side that. now. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. How did you, how did you get involved with quantum leap? Uh, what was the process of going from hearing about the part to being on set? So my agent, no, my manager, uh, Ms. Mara, uh, she, she emailed me, you know, that's all managers do. And then I was like, Oh, Quantum Leap, okay, Ming. And my dad, you know, he saw the email. He was like, do you know how big of a deal this is? Like, they're bringing back Quantum Leap here in episode five. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, you know, I, I was before my time and then I did my research. I'm like, whoa, this is a huge deal. And just reading the script and seeing, you know, Chinese Americans being represented in this time, I was like, wow. So I auditioned. And I had about four auditions that day because I was, I was actually in Korea on vacation. Mm taking care of family. Cool. So I just had to get these auditions out. And then this one felt good. Like it felt, you know, it was a very homey scene. It was the uh, one where I'm in the apothecary taking care of. this mm-hmm. And I think like two weeks later, I only sent one self tape and I got booked to the role and I was extremely blessed. And when I got to the U S again, one week after I arrived, yeah, back to work. Awesome. Is that normal for you at the moment? You mentioned you did doing kind of, four, I guess they were all self-tapes, four auditions back-to-back. That must be quite challenging, just getting yourself from one character to the next. Was that is that a normal day for you now? Or was, was, <laughs> uh, it just everything happened to come at once? You were just waiting for months and all, all the auditions hit at the same time? I know, because I was in Korea, so I was like, okay, I have to find an English speaker that could, you know, read with me. And luckily, my cousin was there. Uh, right. Yeah, really close. And yeah, one was, I was a Korean-American kid in the 90s. I had to cry a lot. Uh, one was, you know, this other one, just, you know, I was like, I'm just like a teen, you know, and then a cowboy. Yeah, it was just, you know, the common ground was Asian teen. So that, you know, that yeah. helped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one thing I noticed while watching Salvation or Bust and your part in particular, talking about in the apothecary and putting aloe on uh, Raymond Lee was uh like you look young but i assumed you were like a much older actor because uh you just had this confidence about you in that scene your character did anyway like like um how did how do you how does someone as young as yourself carry yourself that um let's say uh mature mm. number one is the rest of the cast and crew honestly it's just you know how do they make you feel welcome and how, you know, how, um, you know, how are they collaborating with you? Cause 
I was the youngest person on set, I believe. And Miss um, Natalia plays Valentina. You know, she is playing someone younger than me, uh, but she is a few years older than me. And, you know, everyone looks so young. <laughs> I was so surprised. Everyone, um, the guest stars, they look so young, but they're like, they're saying that they have like children and that they're married. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, wow. But they were talking to me as if I was, you know, I was their age. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there wasn't a lot of burden. I just, you know, we're just all joking around a lot. So yeah, I don't, I mean, I like to think of myself as mature, but um, definitely. And I guess in terms of character, Ming, he's, you know, I think he's 16 or 17. He's carrying on the burden of, you know, taking care of his town. And McDonough and his gang, you know, they may have been popping in or out and other outlaws. So I guess that means, you know, the weight that he carries on his shoulders must be huge. You know, medicine wasn't huge back then, of course. And yeah, I just feel like he has, you know, a teenage boy must have matured. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to take on that responsibility. I have to, you know, and his relationship awesome. with his father. He has to take care of his father. Um, uh, speaking of, uh, your father on the show, we got the pleasure, Matt and I, uh, to speak to Harry Yee and, uh, he, he spoke very highly of you, uh, even when we weren't recording and, uh, he, he explained to us a little bit about, uh, preparing for that scene. Can you tell us, uh, your, your memories of preparing for that scene and filming that scene? Yeah, I first met Harry. Um, I was getting my makeup done in the trailer and I was walking in, I see, um, I see Harry in the back. He's on the very opposite end. He's like, my son, my son. And I'm like, oh, what's up? Uh, and yeah, because um, we're both Korean and he's uh, partially Korean. And then we kind of like bonded over that. And so, yeah. And I just got a very first strong impression when I first met him. I was like, this is going to be awesome. And when I got back to my trailer, he mentioned how he knocked on my door. right? And he's like, you know what? Let's bond. Let's, let's go to crafting. I'm like, Hell yeah. And so we get on set. We're not even called yet, but we just wanted to sink in the Western, you know, town. This is our first time on set. And we're just, you know, we're eating our yo plays at crafting and eating our Doritos. And we're just chilling. And he just tells the most awesome stories, you know, from being like a Broadway star to being like in like the early hip hop dancing in New York. And his time all over the world and all these projects. Yeah. Awesome dude. Awesome. Very talented dude. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, Harry had mentioned how important it was to have three different generations of, uh, Asian Americans represented on network television. And I think it's great when, uh, something like that happens when, and it's not even part of the story that just the characters happen yeah. to be Asian American. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about your feelings on representation, uh, on television mm-hmm. and, and the opportunities that you're getting now? Oh yeah. So first off, um, as you mentioned, the three generations that also Mr. Harry, uh, mentioned, it was crazy because, you know, it was like the teen and then like the adult and then like the older adult. Um, the funny thing was, was that we were all theater kids. You know, I did theater in high school and I'm still studying theater right now. Uh, Mr. Raymond Lee, he did theater in college and he made his own little um, touring group actually with his friends. He was telling me about that. And Harry, you know, he was touring on Broadway, <laughs> as you guys know. And there would just be like these times where like the three of us were just dancing off stage and like we're like joking around making like musical, you know, kind of moves and we're like, we're singing. I remember uh, one time when we were off in like the waiting room, we were just singing like Africa by Toto, just doing the harmonies. Mm-hmm. It was 
grade time, so it was just three theater kids, basically, essentially, just each with their own experiences, just having a blast. In terms of representation, wow. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Harry and I were chilling out on set, and one of the writers, Derek A. Hughes, he comes up to us and he introduces uh, himself to us. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're just mentioning how much we love the script and, you know, thank you uh, for putting representation in for us. And uh, Mr. Hughes, who is also um, Asian American, he just kind of explained to us that, you know, it's not that, you know, Hollywood nowadays, you know, they're becoming more inclusive, right? But he explained to us that this was what it really was in the West. There were people, you know, there it was a, a diverse population. There were Chinese Americans, there were, you know, Hispanic people, there were, you know, of course, African Americans. And, you know, back then, you know, when Westerns were made in like the 60s and so on, you know, it would just be purely Caucasian. Maybe, you know, they would introduce like a Native American character, like a classic Native American character. But yeah, it was just awesome to finally see a true diverse cast that kind of represents the true Wild West of like what it would have been now. Yeah. So what was Raymond Lee like? <sighs> wow. There's a reason why he is the leading man. Let me tell you, he's... Because on screen, he has, like, this charisma, right? But when you see him in person, because, like, he's he is pretty much taller than me. So, like, I see him. He's, like, these wide shoulders. He has, like, these warm eyes. He has, like, these pearly white teeth. And he's, like, in, like, his cowboy. Like, he looked awesome in that cowboy um, outfit, by the way, with, like, the blue and, like, the corduroy kind of vest. And when I saw him, he, he just, like, he just projects this aura that, like, models have, you know, like, they just... It's like, man, that's Raymond Lee. And I would catch him um, certain times, just, like, walking around, hitting, like, these high notes and riffs. And I'm like, did anyone else hear that? Because he'd be like, oh, no, like, that was nothing. And he has this secret talent where he he humbles uh, he humbles himself by saying, oh, no, I mean, like, I'm not that great of a singer, but, you know, I can find a harmony to anything. So I was like, wow, so there's a fun fact for you. Mr. Raymond Lee can harmonize to everything and yeah he's just an amazing fun warm guy just hopefully get to work with him again yeah uh you you mentioned earlier uh, this was filmed on uh like uh, the universal backlot and uh what was it like being part of a production like that how how was like the director producers the rest of the crew just that whole uh what eight day shoot i think you had what what was that whole experience like for you so the two, I mean, everyone was, everyone was amazing, but the two biggest figures to me were um, the director, Mr. Silas Howard, and uh, the executive producer, uh, Mrs. Uh, Deborah Pratt. Wow. They know how to, like, commend everything. Um, Mr. Silas Howard, he's, from the very first day, I wasn't too much involved. The first day was the bucket, you know, the fire, and we were probably running, you know, just, just getting just wet, you know, everywhere, and people just lugging, just. 25 pounds of water over. And let me tell you, man, Mr. Howard, he's just such, he's just someone that you just want to like hang out with, you know? Cause a lot of directors, you know, they're, 
at times they can seem kind of untouchable. You know what I mean? They can seem kind of intimidating and you just want to like, please the director, you know, maybe have like a fun chat with them. But no, uh, Mr. Howe, he was such a joy to work with. So, so nice. And, you know, everyone's just a goofball. And the fact that he was able to kind of create that environment, especially on like a cowboy set, you know, if everyone's a goofball and you're on a cowboy set, like, wow, that's room for a ton of jokes, a bunch of memories. And I'm uh, Stever Pratt. There was this one memory. Um, we're all getting dinner and there was a night shoot and, you know, she's awesome. She wanted to have dinner with uh, the guest cast. I was like, wow, like, you know, people are really putting time to meet, voice crack, meet, and just get to know and just spend time with the 99% of the cast that is there and that goes. So I really appreciated that. And she was telling me the story because she's been with Quantum Leap since the very first series, right? And as Quan- as the first show was kind of wrapping, she was telling me how she actually tried to expand Quantum Leap, you know, get a cartoon, get more merchandising, you know, and have like a convention, you know, just make everything huge, just expand Quantum Leap. And I guess the producers and the people back then were like, that's okay. Yeah, like you can figure that out. You know, just do that yourself, and you'll pitch it to us. And she tried to get this meeting, and everyone, like the head, could go. I don't remember too much about the details, but basically, like everyone was like, "Okay, like we'll get working." And then when the big boss heard about, you know, what she wanted to do, he was like, "Guys, why aren't we getting on this?" And they were starting to like they were getting the cartoon developed, and then that's when uh, the show got discontinued. Well, yeah, which is a bummer, but no, yeah, she's. She, you can tell that she loves the show and she loves every second of it. And there's a reason why she's back. And filming on the back lot with these people that want to spend time with you in a cowboy land, like what can get better than that? This isn't just a normal set crew and cast. This is, man, if I could like relive that, like I was so blessed and grateful. Like this, this whole environment that they created was like one in a million. Definitely. Like, I, like I'm not just saying that, like it was, awesome it was so so cool i guess as far as um guest starring roles go usually you'd just be the the one person showing up amongst a lot of people that are are used to being there and used to working together but in a show like quantum leap you're surrounded by people that are all new and you've talked a bit about how you bonded with with harry is there anything else you can share about how the guest cast who were effectively all new for that eight days and then all scattered afterwards, how you all came together and how you worked together. Yeah. So I guess it kind of contrasts with the previous episodes. Cause um, you know, there was the astronaut one and like the robbery one and the boxing one, and they would have like their own, you know, little groups and stuff like that. Right. But this one was different cause it was like a team, you know, it was people with different skill sets coming together. And that was kind of reflected in the cast, because even though we didn't have too much time together, we definitely had scenes, you know, like the town meeting, we're trying to figure out a plan, and there's Caitlin Bassett's walking around saying, you know, Ming's a chemist, and we need those explosives, and old Joe, he's a, you know, he's the Beyonder. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we got really attached to each other. There would just be times where, you know, as I said before, you know, they made me feel like I was, you know, their age. We'd just be talking about, like, having kids, you know, and we just got so close just <laughs> talking about like motorcycles and uh, what else? Just 
so many crazy things. Um, shout out to Mr. Demetrius Butler. What, what a man. Like he's awesome just to talk with. And at the end of the shoot, you know, they announce our rappers. Like, All right, like these people, you know, you're rap for the night. Everyone's cheering. And when we drive a van back to our dressing rooms to get undressed and go back home, there's this video clip that I have. And I'll let you know if you guys want to see it, but it's just us singing like a song. It was Black Hole and everyone's just singing along and everyone's like happy. And then uh, Demetrius goes, I love y'all. And everyone's like, oh, I love you too. And it was just kind of like a bittersweet moment. Yeah, everyone just got really close. I'm really enjoying Quantum Leap, uh, but I'm also, I think, almost more enjoying the behind the scenes stories of all the uh, just the kindness and love and fun that everyone seems to be having on the set. It just makes the show that much better to hear that because you don't always you don't always have that. Um, another thing I wanted to know about: there's this uh, exciting scene at the end where the townspeople like uh, group together and uh, fight off um, the big bad guy and stuff. Uh, what was it like filming that uh, action sequence? Uh, I, I I know you're up on the balcony, right, with Harry and stuff. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that day? Yeah, so that day was dedicated to that whole. Um montage right and we were joking around instead of just putting like a theme we should put like the a team theme like dun, 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 <laughs> and like you know, we, we were joking around about that uh so yeah like everyone looked so badass during that part with uh miss yanni king like flicking the match but i think harry and i were the last part of that big sequence to get filmed and we're running out of sunlight and we hadn't practiced throwing like the bombs because like they were like weighted and Harry was talking about how he almost hit someone in the camera with it. Mm-hmm. And that was just one take. It was just a minute of us chucking these bombs down, not trying not to hit people. And I was like dodging shots. It was fun. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we were expecting to throw probably like five times more, but they're like, we're good. I love that. So we're like, Oh, nice. Awesome. And as you mentioned, the last hurrah scene, they actually cut a few lines out. Uh, and I understand because it kind of like, I guess it got in the way of like the pace, just kind of like the hurrah, hurrah. And Henry, played by uh, Marquis Bolson, um, the character is eating because I don't know if they showed the buffet, but there was a buffet at the bar, but they have more close-ups of that. And we're all fake eating. And Henry goes, you know, he goes, man, like way, who's my father? Who's the chef? Like, have you ever thought about opening your own place? And then, you know, he can't talk, so I speak on his path. So I'm like, you know, like, my dad's been looking for a business partner, so I don't know, like, we'll see. And uh, what's his name? Frankie. It's like, you know what? I mean, I'm your gal. And it's just, like, the sweet moment where it's, like, the first Chinese restaurant being established. And I thought that was a oh, sweet wow. moment. And unfortunately, I didn't get to uh, mm. on screen. But I, it's a shame. Yeah. It that, was that's awesome to hear about that. We had no idea. Um, I, I love that you mentioned that you guys were talking about A-Team uh, uh, while filming because uh, that was one thing that came across uh, my mind while I was watching it, especially when um, Raymond, as Ben says, I love it when a plan comes together because that, that's what they say at the end of every A-Team after the, all the townspeople group together to win the day or whatever. So that, that was awesome. Eddie, uh, are there any other memories you can share uh, with us about the time you had on Quantum Leap? Yeah, uh, for sure. There's <laughs> Mr. Raymond Lee. He's, he made me break character probably a dozen <laughs> times. Uh, one being, 
I mean, obviously, there was a little more leeway because the camera was behind me, so I could kind of like hide my laughter. But you might see, like, the audio might catch my like my breath going like, <laughs> you know, those, <laughs> those little sniffles as well as you know, like my body going up and down. But the part where he eats uh, the wonton uh, soup, mm-hmm. he's like, oh yeah, like as like the later takes were like, you know, been starving at this point. You know, he hasn't eaten since he first left. So he was really starving. So the next take, he's like slurping on the soup, just like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like that. And like, I'm just like trying not to break character. And he has like, like spinach going up and like wontons coming out of his mouth and he's just going <laughs> at it. And I'm just like, there's just one take where you couldn't even hear me talk because it was just all, <laughs> but uh, secondly, <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. The second, t- uh, the second scene. Was at town meeting, and I have this one line where it goes, where Ben's talking about his plan, and I go, "What are you thinking?" And yeah, Ben does like this look. He's like, "Hmm, like I got a plan." And before they say cut, or right when they say cut, he's like, and I say, "What are you thinking?" And he goes, "We're gonna poop on them," and just like. <laughs> like and then everyone just laughed. And he would say every single take, you know, he's a goofball. I love him. Oh and, my goodness. You know, the close ups on me, I would just think about, you know, him saying, we're going to poop on him. <laughs> and everyone's at me on that last scene where I'm like, what are you thinking? And I'm biting my tongue as hard as I can. I'm going to get the shot in. And <laughs> it just um, got too boring at some point. <laughs> and he's just like looking at me because it's just like the look that he does. He's like, he does that. Yeah. Mm. And as it was getting to his close-ups and my back of my head, I had more time, so I couldn't even look at him. Like I was just laughing so hard at a certain point that I had to actually look at the floor. I had to face my head towards him. I'd say, "What are you thinking?" <laughs> And Miss Kaylin Bassett, she was like, she's like, Raven, you're so with me. And she grabs me like the back. He's like, oh, no, you're just a good job. And I'm like, oh, thank you. But no, yeah, everyone's beautiful. Everyone's just having fun. That is so awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eddie, for uh, being part of the Quantum Leap podcast. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing those stories with us. That makes uh, our understanding of the episode so much better. And I think I'm going to actually go and watch the episode again now that I know these uh, <laughs> other things and, and, and see if I can tell where they happen. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Eddie. Well, thank you, guys. It was a blast just to relive these memories and talk about it again. Yeah, I'm smiling. <laughs> and I'll continue smiling <laughs> throughout the whole entire day, probably. Okay, okay, ah. okay. Oh, that, that's okay. You're, you're still a little rusty, all right? Ain't nothing you can't work out with some practice. Trust me, this is not happening, okay? Everyone has this idea of me as being this storied gunslinger. They've got me all wrong. The person they see, that's not who I am. Now, I know what that's like. The way I was born, I, I spent most of my life letting folks see me as someone I wasn't. Till one day I decided I didn't want to do that no more. I wanted to be seen for who I really am. And that's when I... Heard about this place, where people like me could go and be whoever they wanted. Their true selves. Salvation. So I picked up sticks and made the change that I needed to make and came here. And this town really was my salvation. And I will defend it until my very last breath. Then uh, I better give this one more shot.
Joining me now is Marquise Vilson. Marquise, welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Thank you, Chris, so much for having me tonight. Well, we're thrilled to talk to you because um, you were part of an event for Quantum Leap in general and an event for the new series. It's the first time we've ever seen a leap into the Old West, into the actual Old West. And uh, you played the sheriff or the eventual sheriff, Henry, on the program. And I just wanted to know um, a little bit about your background with acting and then eventually how you came to Quantum Leap. Yeah, so uh, my acting uh, career got started in 2017. Um, I started out with something small like a web series, which eventually landed me an off-Broadway production and then somehow a feature film with Julia Roberts uh, that then landed me the role on Law and Order SVU, uh, which I played a transgender military officer, or excuse me, sergeant uh, in the military. And so fast forward anyway to this in particular character and, and how it came across my desk. Um, in fact, when we finally got this appointment, they were looking to cast a black trans man for the role. Um, so I think that that was the first thing that obviously stuck out was that this character was intended to be trans. Um, and specifically at a time like 1879. And so kind of thinking about what that would have meant um, as a black person, as a black trans person and, and a queer person, um, four years right after Bass Reeves becomes uh, a U.S. Marshal. Um, so this sort of like possibility model um, was in front of me that I was thinking about for this character. It was like, oh, wait a minute. This is like really, really interesting. Um, and also thinking about a town like Salvation, right, which is supposed to be for like misfits, common day mis misfits, if you will. And so all of these different people from different backgrounds and experiences and body types and abilities kind of occupying the same space. And this individual, Henry, um, maybe having a chance to protect them. And I think in some ways very much so protect himself. Um, so I, I think that those were all things that just kind of like, oh, wait a minute, this is really nuanced and kind of interesting to think about this character in this moment in time, specifically in that moment. So. So the show has been very big on representation, um, LGBTQ and non-binary. And I was wondering about the way that they coded Henry in the episode, because it was very specifically the dialogue was that I could be who I am here, where I couldn't, where I had to hide it before. And to me, I was wondering, okay, so were they alluding to the fact that Henry was gay or you're saying that Henry was trans because that's your experience. How did you approach the character? And do you, did you have a discussion with the writers about that representation? What, what Henry was supposed to represent? It was very explicit. They imagined Henry to be a trans man. Um, but it's interesting that that's your take, but also like, gay, trans, like all things inside of like the queer umbrella and sort of like this identity in a, in a world and in a time where like that, that wasn't necessarily maybe as commonplace for people to see. So here's an opportunity to explore what that, what that would look like. Um, for me, the way that I approached it was, was absolutely through that lens. And so where was Henry coming from? What was his previous experience? I'd imagined maybe he migrated from the South, um, and maybe experiencing what it would be like to to be a black person at that time in the, in the South, obviously, when you cannot necessarily be your most authentic self. Going to a place like the Wild West, 
um, seemingly in a town like this would be the perfect opportunity, right? Where somehow you get a you get a chance to kind of live out your life the way that you want to in a town where people don't necessarily know you or know the history that you're traveling with, but yet somehow you become chosen family. You know, it, I, I thought it was just like a really cool opportunity to kind of see that happen. Um, and and for the writers and, and that team to really even be thinking about a trans character showing up the way that I do, like the nuances of today kind of being approached in that moment in time. I, I thought it was exceptional to see. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Not, not, a, not a lot of creative teams are, you know, that outside of the box and willing to explore in that way, if you will. Yeah. And you had mentioned earlier that you were looking to a certain historical figure. Did, were, were there trans now educate me, educate our viewers and our listeners? Because when you think old West and something like in the last century or two centuries ago, um, someone who on the frontier as, as a trans person, we don't hear about any of that in the history books. There's not a lot of common knowledge that, you know, that, that, segment of society was even represented. So I'm wondering, were there historical figures that you were able to to um, research to help inform the role? Um, specifically from 1879, as an example, a Black trans mass deputy, no. But I think in terms of two-spirit and, and of course, gender expansive communities, yes. Um, it's interesting to think about the way society... Um, acknowledges trans or gender expansive people as if somehow we just existed in the last couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've been here forever just as anyone else has, but here's an opportunity to see what that might be like. I think in terms of the reference that I could use for that moment, specifically for a character like Henry, um, really was Bass Reeves, right? Bass Reeves was not a trans person, right? Bass Reeves was a black cis man who became a U.S. Marshal of the Wild Wild West as the first, in fact, man in general to be a U.S. Marshal specifically for the Wild Wild West. Um, but that happened in 1875. So for Henry to exist in this moment, the way that I'm thinking about him in this world in 1879 is that, wait a minute, here's a very different possibility model from being a field hand. Right. Or from being someone who works directly with a master, if you will, um, and or picking cotton. There, there weren't really a lot of opportunities. And so when you think about somebody like a Bass Reeves, he has a very different possibility model for a black person at that time. And how interesting it could have been for this character, the way the creative team thought about him coming from somewhere else, going into salvation having an opportunity to maybe live out that fantasy. Maybe that was a dream of his that he may never have had if he stayed in a place like Alabama, if you will, mm. you know, or maybe in Georgia. I don't know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's terrific. And um, I mean, Quantum Leap has always been about social justice and representation. Were you familiar with the original series before working on this iteration? Oh, yes. Oh God, yes. I love to be honest with you, I was definitely a fan of the original show. One of the most beautiful things I loved about the show was that it didn't matter what the episode was. You could hop in and out just as they were hopping in and out of time. Yes, there were relationships that had been built and those sorts of things along, you know, along the way, but it was so easy to just track and really easy to, to enjoy because it was just about people being kind and good in the world. You know, there, there was an issue that needed to be fixed and somehow it got, it got fixed. It, you know, that problem was erased for those people in that moment in time. And then here's another opportunity to be of service to someone else like how 
who could not love that story? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like and someone's doing that every week. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talk a lot about how Quantum Leap is very issues oriented, but I have to think that it must have been maybe one of the coolest things ever to get back on that Western backlot and do a cowboy show. Can you tell us a bit about working on the set? <laughs> so first of all, that was like really, really cool. Um, and definitely to, you know, be a black cowboy. Like that was, that was dope. I, I've never <laughs> done a thing like that before. It was really, really cool to experience. It was outside. It was, and interestingly enough, um, the, that week of filming happened to be a heat wave happening. I mean, there was like one day where it's like 105 degrees literally outside with like all of this gear on. Um, and then really processing like what it must have been like actually in the literal wild, wild west for like people to actually be walking around with all of these layers on literally given 105 heat. Like we're, we're complaining. We have like PAs to like bring us camp water. You know, it's it's not that terrible if you think about it, right? But like also it gave you an opportunity to be in that moment. You know, it was, it was so cool. And there were real horses too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was my next question. I mean, you um... – you personally uh, were doing a lot of the shooting in the episode, uh, crack shot, and um, also working around the horses and 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 all that stuff. I mean, what was involved? Because there's been a huge focus on safety, especially gun safety, on movie sets uh, recently. And uh, I was just curious to know what was involved in doing those scenes with the guns when you were teaching Ben how to shoot. And you also had the great, the great moment up when you were doing the ambush on top of the building. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. Safety was priority. Number one, every step of the way there were safety meetings um, for every single scene that involved any kind of uh, make-believe firearm, if you will. Um, there were, you know, checks and double checks, obviously, of each of the rounds, clicking back, making sure that people could see that there was nothing inside of um, inside of the barrel. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely spot on in terms of training every single day. And also, after the scene was completed, as an example, let's say they said, all right, you know, go ahead, you can go into holding immediately, someone from the uh, props department was coming to take your fire, firearm from you. So there was never a moment of like possibility, any room for error. I mean, they were pretty, pretty good about making sure that the space was as safe as possible. That's good to hear. Um, I think that um, it adds authenticity to the episode because it's of the time, but at the same time, you can't help but think about it in a modern context. And I was really curious about that. The other thing that, I, I wanted to know, get your take on this. Some of the costuming um, seemed a bit bright. I was thinking, when I think Western, I think gritty. I think dirty. I think dusty. And um, Henry had some really terrific outfits. So I was curious to know, like, when you approached the character, did you know how they were going to costume him? Did you have any say in that? Did you have any discussions with the costume designers about the overall look? So initially, I had no idea. Um, but of course, approaching this character, it became more of a collaborative sort of process. Um, there were actual references of like images with brighter color tones. So we were definitely curious about like, oh, did these kinds of color patterns actually exist at the time? Actually, there were some that were, but there was also a need to, to kind of like make this character a little bit more bright, you know, and not necessarily so drab. And so I think that that was intentional about like who, um, 
who he was. Um, and also as someone who's kind of like at the top of the episode, kind of like blending in the background, like the significance of making sure that, you know, this is a very important character through something as simple as like maybe a, a mildly lighter color shirt, you know, because at some point he becomes, he becomes important for you to know. Um, versus when you see him at the top, not necessarily. It's just kind of like in passing. People don't really necessarily notice, you know. Right. Well, I thought it was a neat twist because I never would have thought such such bright colors and such a bold statement. So um, we've heard nothing but good things about uh, working with the cast and the crew on the set. Uh, did you get a chance to meet the entire ensemble? I know that you did primarily scenes with Raymond and Caitlin. Not the entire uh, ensemble, but the one and two on the call sheet, both Raymond and Caitlin, they're amazing. They were absolute gems. Um, the entire creative team, the writers, I mean, Deborah Pratt, everyone that was on set was just, was really cool to work with. And also it felt like a very sort of, um, not necessarily, well, I don't know, I'm not always a fan of the language of like inclusive, more than it's just a space that feels like it exists for everyone. It's a safe space, literally for everyone. I just felt like it was a very comfortable vibe that way. Just, I had a wonderful time shooting. That's great to hear. I mean, so, I mean, Minus you have the heat. The heat was a yeah. little, you know, I'm going to be honest about that. That the, the heat was a little intense, but they did everything that they could to make sure we were hydrated. That I will also say. Like, what are the odds? They, they, they do the Western episode and they get in the middle of a heat wave. I guess it lent to the authenticity, huh? It did. It did. Yeah. Now that uh, Quantum Leap is, is behind you, what other projects are you working on? Ah, we shall see. I've got some things on my own that I'm working on. Um, also, people, if you want, you want to check out some of my previous work, you could see me in Tom Swift, which is on HBO Max. You could see me on uh, Amazon Prime, A League of Their Own. Um, be on the lookout for that. Well, fingers crossed for a season two. We'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, just be on the lookout. That's great. And um, so you're based in New York. And right. yeah, so uh, we were talking about this at uh, for, for the listeners at home, we're, uh, we're both New Yorkers. So it's great to have someone who's in Brooklyn. I'm on Long Island and, uh, it's, um, there's such a vibrant theater scene out here. Do you have, um, a, a preference of where you like to work? Do you, do you split coasts? Do you like to work at home or how, how does, how does that shake out for you? At the moment, I think what it looks like is where the work takes you. You know, it's always yeah. kind of that thing. Um, you know, on Tom Swift, I worked for the last six, seven months in Atlanta when I worked on A League of Their Own. I worked in Pittsburgh for this show. It was in L.A. So I think it's just kind of like wherever it takes you. But to be fair and honest, like, I love New York. Um, I love the East Coast. I absolutely do. And if I had to pick between theater and TV or film, I don't know. That's kind of a tough one. But I do enjoy theater. I, I think that there's something about um, theater where that the offering... Um, it, it really impacts you and it touches you in a really different way because you're sharing that experience in a room full of people versus like, you know, TV and film, it's just a camera. It's kind of like the script, but you don't have a relationship with the audience per se in the same way. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So, um, are there any other, um, anecdotes or aspects of working on the show on quantum leap that you'd like to discuss that we haven't touched upon? So the horses, um, oh yeah, that's right. Thank you for bringing me back to that. I got so 
sidetracked by the guns. Yeah, the horses were definitely an experience. Um, I am a native New Yorker, so I did not grow up with horses. <laughs> this was a task. This this moment proved to me that I need to be like taking horseback riding lessons or at least going to a ranch and becoming f- familiar with horses. I was definitely like, oh, my God, like, wait, I don't know. You know, you just think about the force of a horse. And you don't want to stand behind it. Like, what if it kicks you? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Did you do any scenes on horseback or? Absolutely not, sir. No. <laughs> Absolutely. I did no such thing. I did no such thing. I touched the horse and pet it. That is it. Given the opportunity, would you? You know what? I would. I would. If I, if I had a little bit more um, more time, right, with the horse, absolutely yes. But no, for <laughs> for this in particular uh, episode, it was definitely like close quarters, but not like, oh, you're on top of a horse. Yeah, it was kind of amazing to me because we have uh, also spoken to Mark McCullough, who played McDonough, the black hat, the bad guy. And he had to ride um, and talk in some of his scenes. And he maybe you can can speak to this. He was saying how fascinated he was by how trained the horses are that between takes, they're just basically very calm. But even when they hear the word action, they all of a sudden get very animated. They get very – was that something that you had experienced? That is absolutely correct. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. There was one in particular horse that, that I was in a scene with. Um, with Raymond just across from me and literally every time they yelled action, that's exactly what happened. This horse like would find a way to be facing this way, like north, and then suddenly was pointing south. <laughs> <laughs> like what is going on? Like totally did a whole just, you know, 360. But I mean, otherwise they were, they were pretty chill. They were really cool. Yeah. Another uh, standout of the episode was the uh, girl who played, um, um, Blanking it. Valentina was 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 the actress who played Valentina. Um, do you guys? I don't know that you've had any scenes other than crowd scenes, but what was it like working with her? Because she was a live wire. <laughs> she was an absolute joy. I mean, I didn't have a lot of scenes with her directly, but I think just one on one, kind of hanging out, having lunch together, um, talking about our backgrounds, our experiences. I mean, this was. This was quite a very um, down-to-earth sort of set experience, if you will. Not a lot of um, ego, you know, diva-esque personalities. Like, that actually didn't exist at all. Just a lot of people getting to know each other and talking and and eating food and drinking water. (laughs) Drinking a lot of water. That's great to hear. We've heard nothing but great stuff from the set. And one thing I'm actually curious about, because Quantum Leap – in this current iteration since the reboot started has been so has been so careful to be inclusive to to have representation um in various different communities have you seen an upsurge of of fandom for quantum leap in the lgbtq community is is it something that 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 the community is noticing 
I would absolutely say yes. I think that when you start to recognize that some of your community members are also a part of a, a franchise or a show, like you naturally kind of get curious, you want to support your people. And then even more than that, you go, oh, wait a minute, this is actually a good show. Like I've had a, a couple of friends kind of similarly, you know, have the same experience and then go, oh, wait a minute, this is this is actually a really good show. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely believe that's true. I could see why it's got another what six episode order. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah it's really yeah. cool. And I think the other thing that um, I've been impressed with, and I'd like to get your take on, is that oftentimes in television, especially when you um, are doing an episode uh, that has a character of a certain, um, like say non-binary or a certain sexual orientation, whatever, the episode becomes about that. It becomes an issues episode per se. Quantum Leap is is not doing that. Are you seeing that as, as more of a trend? They're just representing people and having them exist like they do in the real world. And it's just not a big deal. It's just, they're there just like anybody else is there. Um, do you see that trend? Do you see that as a trend that is increasing in in entertainment media today? I think it's definitely a way that creatives now are are open to approaching storytelling. And I think that there's a world that that exists that's a yes end. I think that there's a little bit of both, right? Like there's some opportunities to kind of explore maybe some of those challenges or issues that people face and then there's opportunities to see like, hey, Someone enjoys a cup of black coffee, you know, or maybe, you know what I mean? They enjoy going hiking or like whatever the thing is that they, they, they enjoy doing that is not centered solely around their gender identity and or um, their sexual orientation. You know, you get you I think through Quantum Leap, you definitely get to simply see people's personalities that are like super colorful besides anything that involves like their their gender identity, you know? Mm. You just yeah. get to see human beings being human beings, which is like really cool. That's the point, you know? Yeah. It's odd that it's refreshing, isn't it? Like it should just it be is. that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this has been great. Thank you so much for the insight because um, we have spoken to Mason and um, they were very uh, pleased with the way that the show had been uh, representing as well. So um, I just hope it's a trend that continues. And, you know, the more that we get to see this kind of representation, just the more normalized it gets to everybody. And I thank you for playing a part in that because Henry was such a great character. And uh, I was happy to see the way that the, the episode resolved and how you, you came out on top. Well, I'm grateful for that, and I'm I'm happy to uh, to have added, you know, one more notch of like actors who love the show, and also, you know, give it a check and a thumbs up, and really to reiterate like how important it is um, to have shows like this that depict LGBTQ queer plus characters as just as human beings. Uh, I, I really want to echo that Quantum Leap is doing an exceptional job. Yeah, and uh, we're happy to have you as part of our community, and. Um, since you are a fan of Quantum Leap, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. And I'll cut this if you want. Do you have a favorite episode of the original series? Every episode for me is a, is a classic, is an, is an episode that I absolutely enjoy of like the first iteration of Quantum Leap. It's just such a good show. Yeah. Well, I, you're not alone in that conviction. We have a whole podcast and uh, we've been going strong for a decade now. And um, we're just happy that our fan community keeps expanding and we're happy to have you as part of it. So, Marquise, 
thank you very much for being on the Quantum Leap Podcast. Thank you so much. Hello, and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie, and I'm so happy to have with us today the director of Salvation or Bust, Silas Howard. How you doing, Silas? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm excited. I'm excited to get to talk to you because I really enjoyed your episode of Quantum Leap because that's what we're here to talk about mostly. But uh, in researching you a little bit for our conversation today, I discovered a whole bunch of cool things that you did. So I'd like to talk about them, too. But before I get ahead of myself, uh, could you just tell us um, how you got into the entertainment business? What made you want to be a director and like your journey to get you to directing films and television? Yeah, yeah. It's um, a, a bit of a backwards sort of journey. I made a feature film before I made any short film or new, uh, uh, studied or, or made anything else. Um, my best friend and I co-directed, co-starred and, and, uh, co-wrote a feature called By Hooker by Crook that played at Sundance and South by and got theatrical and, uh, is now its 20 year anniversary. So, um, yeah, so we just sort of leapt without looking and made this and then realized like, Oh, um, how do I practice directing? How do I, um, I didn't realize you have to be independently wealthy often to do independent <laughs> film because it doesn't really pay. So, um, I bought some time by going to UCLA and got my graduate degree in film and made some crappy shorts and then made some shorts I liked and, and sort of like worked on the craft of, um, directing and collaborating with actors. And, uh, and then I came out in the middle of the economy crash and made a second feature that was a similar budget, micro budget and just directed anything I can get my hands on web series, music videos. I just kept practicing the craft and, um, and, uh, eventually I was able to land a directing, um, job with transparent, um, my first episode of television and worked on two seasons. And from there I got to really be involved with a lot of shows that were breaking ground with different kind of character representation. And, um, I did a third feature with a big cast, still a decently, uh, sort of small budget. And, um, and my last feature was uh, my first studio one, which is Darby and the Dead that I made with mm -hmm. Hulu and uh, 20th Century Fox. I just got finished watching that uh, Darby and the Dead. I really enjoyed that. It was, it was really good. It reminded me of like uh, 80s teen comedy, but in a good way. Uh, and also absolutely modern, like all mixed together, blended perfectly. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, um, we were really playing with the mean girls, like the elevator pitch mm -hmm. is mean girls meet Sixth Sense because mm -hmm. she sees dead people mm -hmm. and helps them. So it's not really horror. It's mm -hmm. more comedy. But um, but yeah, we wanted it to be an homage to those 80s mean girl kind of 80s and 90s films, but reflect the world around us, which is a much more inclusive world. Uh, one thing that films in that era were lacking, unfortunately. Right, right. I I thought it was cool that uh, Tony Danza was in it because I remember him from I think She's Out of Control. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was amazing. I mean, what's it like uh, directing like Tony Danza and, and Octa Octavia Spencer? We'll get into that later, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Tony was. Um, you know, I grew up watching him on TV shows like Taxi and She's mm -hmm. the Boss, and so it was like he walked out of the tel television set of my. Uh, childhood and onto the set we shot um in cape town south africa is where we shot the film so he came quite wow. a long ways 
to do the role. And, uh, he was phenomenal. I mean, he put, he just cared about every little detail and he brought a ukulele to set some days and he played, you know, music for the crew. And he was just so great mm-hmm. with our lead. Like he's play, he plays a very good friend of hers in the film. So he really bonded with her and he was just very gracious and generous. Um, yeah. And he looks great. He's like, he's very Tony Danza. It's fabulous. Cape Town, South Africa. I had no idea. It looked like LA or, you know, Canada or anywhere else. Why, why do you go to South Africa to film that? It was, um, you know, uh, with these uh, budgets, I think they have tax incentives that uh, make it very oh. tempting to, to film in New Zealand and uh, Cape Town. There was a producer they'd worked with before that shot three, uh, the Kissing Booth movies there. And she uh, worked with us. She was fantastic. Um, and so we had a, a local crew and we had a lot of local casting. Our main cast was from the U.S. for the most part. But our department heads were from all over Manchester, um, from Taipei and uh, and from uh, Cape Town. So it, it was an incredible opportunity, the, the just the landscape and you know, I went and met an elephant. I don't know if you can see the elephant. Oh, I cool. Met an elephant right very there. Cool. I got a tattoo. Oh, but wow. It was very, uh, very yeah, cool. it was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 I, I enjoy that film. I plan to watch it with my daughter when she gets back from her mom. She's with her mom for the holidays, but I think she'll enjoy it. Uh, the end of that movie, I, I don't want to spoil it for too many people, but uh, in, in the part of the movie where uh, you see the mother and there's that music cue, I just lost it. I, <laughs> It was pretty, pretty, pretty unexpected, but I got emotionally involved in the story. So, oh, I'm so glad. I really, I really, really wanted it to be comedic and unexpected places, and emotional and unexpected places. So, thank you for for sharing that. Yeah, you really nailed it. So, uh, I recommend that to anybody. It's on Hulu right now, streaming on Hulu. So, uh, can we talk a little bit about a kid named Jake? I watched that as well, and I just absolutely love that film. How do, how do you get involved oh, with that? Yeah, Jim Parsons, um, who plays the one of the leads with Claire Danes, um, it was his production company's first project, and they brought it to me. Um, and he and Claire Danes were attached, um, but it, we weren't funded yet. So I worked with the writer, brilliant writer on the script a little bit. We went out and we got our um, the rest of our cast, Octavia Spencer, Ann Dowd, Priyanka Chopra, and um, Amy Landecker. It was just a phenomenal cast. And, uh, and we got our financing, and we were able to film – um, the two months that, that Jim and Claire were off from TV <laughs> to do this movie. And it was just a really beautiful exploration in like parenting and handling differences, you know, like we celebrate differences, but we also punish differences and anybody can fall prey to that out of wanting to protect, you know, we can do the wrong things for the right reason, you know, often. So, yeah. Uh, just the setup is that they're, they're the parents of a gender, expansive expressive um uh little boy who loves princess things and they're trying to get into a new york school which is very competitive and they end up uh kind of going down the rabbit hole of like is it okay to highlight this what does it mean and and they kind of surprise themselves and then come back together through that process Mm -hmm. really beautiful film and so real that's 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 the best way i can describe it is real like so many moments in it seemed absolutely real i'm sure it has a lot to do with your direction the writing and also the actors involved uh like when the leads are having a argument that they don't want to be having and um that moment um that moment when the couple comes back from the hospital and uh claire dane just looks around like i've lived that moment myself and i think it was just i've never seen it represented in film before and i just thought it was amazing 
Oh, wow. Thank you. That kind of gave me chills. Yeah. I think that moment when she walks in, I, I'm also blown away by Claire, her performance. And it just like, she, she transforms in a way. It's just, she, she's so in it. And, um, yeah, it's one of my favorite fight scenes to ever direct because I think, you know, sometimes people say the worst things to get to the other side of it, you know, to forgive each other, to like, but, oh yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing that. I think it's, it, we talked a lot about it and about that moment and that it's not often explored. So yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's like uh, you, you come in your house and you look around and you had all these uh, expectations and goals for the future and like slowly you're looking around and they're all disappearing. So I think yeah. that was handled beautifully. So great film. Thank you. Definitely go check Thank it out. You. I watched it on Amazon prime. I'm not sure where else it's available, but it, it's out there. So it's, it's really yeah, it worth is. a watch. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you. it's, uh, it's, it's awesome that you, uh, made such great films and also you're doing so much television too. How did you get involved, uh, with quantum leap? How did, how did that come about? Um, they came to, uh, me actually, which was really exciting. You know, I know of the, you know, the original and, and, uh, when I interviewed with them, I said, uh, you know, that concept has always appealed to me. And as a trans person, I can imagine leaping into another body. I kind of felt that way when I went from being in the world in, in a female, you know, uh, recognized way and then, and then passing and, uh, being recognized as a male. And I think, that's a rare journey, you know, and I, and it, I've always said it, I felt like an unintentional gender spy, um, because of that experience. <clears throat> and, uh, mm -hmm. but it also has created a lot of empathy in me and, and understanding sort of paradoxes and how we're all, we're all trying to be the right kind of man or woman or father or parent or, you know, girlfriend. It's just like, we're, you know, we're all sort of struggling and, and trying to find our way. And, uh, so I, I feel like the way, and also that the show, I'm really obsessed with hidden histories or, you know, un, unrecovered histories, because uh, there's a lot of things that happen that just don't make it into the, you know, into the books or even in our storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so Quantum Leap had that appeal to me as well as just going back and saying like, hey, actually, all of us have been around forever. It's just that either the language wasn't there or um, it wasn't uh, permissible, you know, to be to be uh, in front of the screen, in front of the camera or part of the history books. Hmm. Was uh, the trans character in the episode Salvation or Bust, was that in there before they brought you on or was that something you added or? No, actually. Yeah. They, that was in the episode. And um, I was really excited because it was a really amazing, the writers are incredible on it. And um we cast um, uh, Marquise Wilson, who I've worked with on A League of Their Own, and who's a phenomenal actor. And um, I was really excited reading that this character was trans and, and that the writing didn't really talk about it at all. And mm. it was kind of a fun moment to be like, oh, because Marquise, he will definitely be read as male. I don't think anyone would know he was trans. Then we talked about, do we want to tip the scale just a little bit more to hint at, at it? And that's like such a wonderful luxury because you know, the fast moving pace of, of trans representation has been phenomenal, but then there's a lot of complicated things of like, we need you to look trans or we need you to not look trans. And like, it can be kind of, you know, this was done so beautifully where we got to just talk about the nuance and play with, with what it feels like, you know, and, and also, you know, there's the intersection of race and um, gender, you know, in the story. And yeah, it was just fun to do that all through a genre, you know, and through, you know, through the old West and what the old West means to so many people. 
Yeah. When we watched the episode, we had no idea he was a trans person and uh, uh, the character either until we got to interview Marquise. So uh, then we found out. So it, it brought on up so much meaning because we knew there was something there and it was uh, important, but we weren't sure what. So I think that was great. So. Yeah, it was really very, very subtle. We just added a little bit about like him talking the way he was born. But um, same with Darby, you know, there's a character who's trans and we just mentioned it one time in the locker room and, uh, and kind of just let it. Oh yeah. Let it I, oh, I laughed. <laughs> I laughed at that part. She's like still was trans. Really yeah. <laughs> and was the friends like, trans oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have a chance yeah, to look. Nicole. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's why we, we talked about it. Cause I, you know, I, I, I was aware I told, I said to her, yeah, your character is queer, but let's decide if you're out as trans or not. And so we decided together that that would be the moment did some improv. And I felt like it was just perfect because she still got to be a teenager and a mean girl and, you know, all these other things, but uh, we let that just live in the room for, for a minute, especially the girls locker room, you know, in particular. So yeah, it was really fun. And same with this. It's um, yeah, it's such a to have stories where the people are people first and then we uh, you know unfold things about their experience mm -hmm. as the story moves on as it should be i think you know yeah so that that was just handled yeah. well <laughs> that was that was good um Thanks. so what's it like directing a western were you ever into westerns uh, was that a new thing for you i mean it was really my the cinematographer is phenomenal and she unfortunately had COVID our third day in because we planned all these epic and there were amazing cinematographers that came in. It was just, we had this very Western, you know, playing with shadows, playing with long shadows, playing with a lot of sky and certain angles um, because it's TV, not all of those fancy shots got to live in, you know, we had a nice sort of top down when the horses, you know, when the bad guy comes in and there's just the shadows across the, the dusty terrain, but we, we were filming in a 105 degree heat wave. It was, it was an intense, it was an intense week to be on the back lot, but also we were on the back lot. It's the most famous Western set and it's been in every Western movie, you know, Hollywood Western. And so it was, I felt like we were really, you know, getting to bring our own sort of brand of Western to it um, and onto a really iconic set. Yeah. Was that Anna that was the director of photography of that episode? Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. She's really, she's such an artist. And uh, I think she comes from choreography or dance, but I can feel it mm -hmm. in her lighting and in her, um, her handling of, of what the frame, what's in the frame and, you know, how much story can we get into every frame? So it's really fun. Yeah. Mm. What's the, what's, what's the collaboration like with you and say Anna for that episode? Uh, like who picks the angles, who picks the, the lighting, like, uh, is it a team effort or how does that work? Yeah, it's a, it's a, especially on that show, they have, um, two cinematographers. So the director actually gets to prep the whole time, which is rare on TV. Usually you grab a lunch with the cinematographer and they're exhausted and you just try to like get a few, um, you know, ideas in front of them. So we get to, we get to bond and, and play and pull references for each other and talk about like strategies for, sh for what we were filming. We had a high page count and, you know, a really short amount of time. So that was the other challenge. Like, you know, where do we spend the money and where do we, um, you know, where do we keep it, keep it moving and keep it sparse. So it was, yeah, it was a really great collaboration and the writers too were with us, you know, mm -hmm. for any questions and certainly all through the production. Um, I feel like the little town got to the actors really bonded together, um, as people outside of their characters too. So that's always fun. 
Yeah, so, so little time and so such in a rush. Yeah, normally. yeah, yeah. Exactly. We got we got to speak to many of the actors uh, from this episode, and all of them said it was a very fun set, and they had an amazing time, and they all were very complimentative of you. Thank you. That's so nice to hear. I feel like, um, you know, what we do is mostly process. You know, you spend eighty percent of your time making the thing, and then it's it goes by. You know, like in a bip. And so I've made a promise to myself if I wasn't going to enjoy the process that I should do another job. So I just feel like everything on set is part of what goes into the show and it, it should be as, you know, the goals should be close together, you know, and, uh, I really love, I love overthinking everything. I love like character backstory and I love collaborating with actors and just, there's no small moments. Like everything should feel like, you know, it's got a purpose and, the characters are invested and for comedy, I think the stakes should be even higher. So it's, it was really fun and they were generous actors. So it was, it was easy to do for sure. How is it different um, directing television from directing a feature? Oh, the, the um, <clears throat> collaboration is uh, much more uh, weighted towards the writer and the showrunner. So in a feature, the director is pretty much on the hook for making um, main decisions. They do it in collaboration with the studio as well and producers. But in TV, the writer and show creator um, hold the big picture. And I, I come in and I'm like a very fancy, fancy um, nanny for the episodes that they have. <laughs> and I, you know, like my job is to make sure I'm thinking of things that maybe they didn't have time to think of and try to bring my own lens to certain things, but let it be part of the show, make sure that it's not, you know, that I'm in service to the project. And I, I think it's great because it teaches me to practice, you know, I get to explore other genres. I get to live in other worlds that I wouldn't necessarily build myself. And then I get to bring that practice to my films, you know, by, by stretching in different directions creatively. Um, yeah. And it's just fast. You can't, you gotta, you gotta keep your pace up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, would you do another quantum leap if they offered it to you? Oh, totally. It was a really wonderful team. I mean, from the top down, really, um, Martin and, uh, you know, just Ben and, and Derek, the writers, it was just a great, and Anna, such a great team. Um, and I love that they had a philosophy of, you know, to not do any harm. Like even the horses, they didn't want to do this certain stunt that is like a really stressful thing for horses to do, especially in a heat wave. And I just love that. I thought that was just such a great, um, philosophy to do, especially in an industry that's not been known for being super kind to people or animals <laughs> for the most part. So yeah, definitely. And kindness to the people involved. The cast, so, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What was, yeah, it, what was Ray, that like? Uh, the long hours with that cast and Ray and Caitlin. Oh, Kate, Ray and Caitlin. I mean, the whole team, I was sad. I didn't get to work with um, all the rest of the headquarter team as, as much as, uh, but, it, but they were so delightful and they were bonding with each other you know, it was like episode five, everybody's kind of dealing. Um, and Ray and Caitlin, their chemistry is amazing. It's really, really fun. Just they had a great sense of humor. And even though it was just hot as hell and long hours, they were, yeah, they were, they're pretty badass. They were just really a delight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when we spoke to Eddie Park, I think his name is, um, it, he was telling us so many fun stories. Do you have any fun stories from the set? God, we have, uh, well, I, I guess this isn't necessarily a fun story, but we were really running behind and it was downpour raining and we were supposed to film outside. And so we just did this, we just designed this kind of shot that Caitlin 
because her character is not seen. And so she was like, instead mm-hmm. of standing next to Ray, why don't I move? And I was like, oh yeah, you can be anywhere. Then she can be talking about the characters behind them, looking and pointing and t- saying to him, like, this person can build an explosive. This person can do that. And then they are looking at each other and that longing for each other plays and just the more dynamic frame. And we kind of filmed it almost in a wonder with the rain in the background was really just like a fun discovery that we did as a group. It was really like we added a little improv. And I think those are rare finds in TV where you have a little room to to play around. And uh, so, yeah, that was a fun collaboration. And uh, to have Caitlin's character be able to have a different way of interacting with Ray was, yeah, was fun. Uh, what was it like to be the director to get to, uh, I guess, direct the scene where a lot of us fans find out a big, important story beat of the arc of the season with this Leaper X? And and how did you direct that scene without giving us too much information? Because we don't want to know before we, we find out other things. But what was it like no, on the no. day? I mean, honestly, Martin, that's really a hand I have to tip my hat to him because he's holding the bigger picture and the writers and Derek and Ben, um, Benjamin, um, because they are holding the the piece. I think I had a number of ways I had a, I had a, a contra zoom planned, which ultimately didn't serve the scene. So that's, you know, I talked about it ahead of time and it's, you know, I, I always encourage trying things out that might not work if, if we're have all the other things. And so, um, so that was one that I tried out and it ended up really just being this, um, way of, of capturing the surprise, breaking the moment between them. But, you know, really the blocking and everything, I think that ended up being one that was super collaborative. And and I would just hats off to, to Martin because uh, he's holding the big picture and knows exactly what that moment needs. And that was, yeah, that's a big, big moment. And, uh, and so, yeah, for the actors and I, we were still floundering without knowing what those future moments were. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. It was mm-hmm. like a mystery for us as well. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I know we talked about um, Quantum Leap and we talked about A Kid Named Jake and we talked about Darby and the Dead. Is there any other work that you would really want fans of yours to check out in addition to those, of course? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a bunch of things that I that I love that I've made. And um, I mean, I think the biggest uh, amount of work that I've done on on shows lately is Dickinson, which is an Apple TV show about Emily Dickinson, but it's got a very contemporary oh, wow. twist. I worked on all three seasons and the last season set in the civil war. And it's, it's a half hour period comedy, but it deals with really heavy, you know, subjects and beautiful poetry. And, uh, I don't know, it's a very unique show, um, that I was really involved in and, uh, it's, it's worth a check out. Yeah, for sure. It's a very odd tone though. I'll check that out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool. I'll check that out. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. I really learned a lot and I appreciated talking to you. And um, I think we have a commentary to record. How's that sound? Perfect. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. I, I loved the feedback right. that you had. Thank you. Thank you.